Tip today with Fran Curry, IMRO Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, investigations underway into incidents involving care secondary school students. Our listeners share their concerns regarding assault and intimidation in rural parts of Tipperary. And we have reaction from the travelling community uh, arising from some of our uh, discussions yesterday. Churches in danger of closing this winter due to the rising fuel costs. We'll be speaking to uh, Father Michael Toomey about that. We have an official response on uh, the restoration of town councils and a motion of no confidence on uh, Irish water has failed. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Now you can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com at any time at all. And we're always glad to hear from you. Now there were videos circulating on social media in recent days of students collapsing after inhaling a substance. The students were identified in the videos from their uniform as being from Kolostia Donyskig in care. And school principal Peter Creedon um, joins me now. Uh, Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed, Peter, and we really appreciate you coming on with us uh, this morning. When, when did you become aware of uh, these incidents? Well, sure, I suppose we're aware of the incident that happened to school because it happened to school and on Tuesday because we had dealt with it and our staff had dealt with it. Um, we weren't aware of the videos until Friday evening. But I suppose the bigger picture here is that the students are now back in school. They're, they're well. Um, was a traumatic event for for the kids themselves and and for and for the staff. But look, we have to be very grateful of the support we got from the local medical staff and the paramedics, and um, also the support we got from the parents. Because these are good kids; they made a mistake. Um, you know, we've dealt with it and we're moving on. Uh, I suppose there's a bigger picture probably at play because this e-cigarettes market is a one that's I think uh, going through the Oireachtas at the moment in terms of public health bill. Yeah. And there's some very interesting readings actually. If you look at the Joint Committee Health Report from this particular area and the impact that e-cigarettes are having on young people across the country. Do you have a school policy on, on vaping, Peter? We do. It's, we, we do, yeah. It's, well, the policy is the exact same as, as it would be for, for, for tobacco or any other substances. That they're just simply not allowed while you're in, in uniform. But I suppose the concern we have as schools, and I know from talking to my colleagues and principals in other schools across Tipperary, is that there's... They believe, and in joint committee reports telling us that up to 22% of students between 12 and, and, and 17 have either tried vape and, or, or are vaping in, in, in the previous 30 days. So, wow, you know, 20, 22%? Well, that's what the joint committee report is telling yes. us, that 22% of students between the age of 12 and 17 years of age have, have um, tried to vape, and somewhere between 12 and 15% are have vaped in the past 30 days. So if you take your own town, Camel, over 2,000 students are going to Carmel, that's a significant number. But I suppose on the positive, you know, there's an overwhelming majority of students are making the right decisions when it comes to this particular area. But um, I do know from that they want to license the market. The e-cigarette market is not licensed. I think e-cigarettes are seen as consumer yeah. products and not tobacco products. 
And one of the key effects that people can have is poisoning. So in our two incidents, there's a, a new type of, in, um, well, I'm not an e-cigarette person, but the inhaler used was um, an adjustable one and where the, the, it's based on wattage. And in this case, the students, I'd say, unknown to themselves, uh, inhaled at too high um, a level and they ended up getting antifreeze poisoning from a product that was in illegally sold vape over the counter. So unlike what you said in your in your headline, it, it, the substance was not an illegal substance. It, it, it is legal to be sold in the market at this time. Only just some people can have, a, adults or students can have a reaction to it. Right. It's propylene glycol, I think. Is it some sort of emulsifier or something in the vape? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the report and like I have to be grateful for the parents for allowing for allowing us to speak to you this morning and because they wanted to share this as well. Of course. Um, the report from Bowman Hospital was there was a 26% content of that product propylene glycol, and it's um, also a product that's found in antifreeze. So the students got what uh, they got poisoning in, and and was referred to as antifreeze poisoning. Right. And, uh, it, and it could have been fatal, you know. So uh, thank God it happened where it did happen. Um, and, and, and that we were able to, um, I suppose, put put in place an, an emergency response to because that's what we're dealing with for, for one student in particular. The other student was more of a faint and, and, and I wasn't a serious infant. Um, are you aware of where they're buying these products? Well, they can be bought in any of the shops that are, that, that sell vape oil. So the, the products in these two um, emulsifiers were legally purchased. Yes. Could be purchased in Clamedic, could be purchased in Care or, or right. you know, so... And and uh, they weren't interfered with in, in, in any way, were they? Well, the reports that we had from the toxology reports from the bloods of the students and and from the testing of the actual um vapors that were in the in the in the emulsifiers because we have to I have to be very honest, our students were so supportive and even the students that were involved in or not involved were in the vicinity area, they all came straight to us. We got all the information uh, and in this case no, there wasn't any illegal substance. I know there is concerns that there is THCI being put into certain vape oils, mm. but um, we have no evidence of that. Right. And and that didn't come up in the toxicology no, anyway. No, yeah, no. Yeah, which is, which is important. You you said you dealt with it, uh, Peter. Can I ask you, was there suspension involved? Well, that would be for the school code of behaving the parents, and, and, right. and I wouldn't be discussing that in the airways. But what we do do in the school, we do educate, we do monitor, and we do sanction in this particular area. And I suppose... We're very lucky that we have a very good relationship with John Lahey, the HSC Drugs yes. Education Officer. Um, we have a very strong SPHE program in the school, and we have to be constantly trying to educate, monitor, and sanction. And I suppose that's what parents are doing as well. Um, and you know, when when kids mix or students mix, um, you know, there, there's obviously peer pressure involved from time to time. But what we would always go back to is our core values of care for self and others and respect for self and others. And I have to say, the overwhelming majority of students make the right decisions all the time. And, but from time to time, kids, as you know yourself, Frank, can make mistakes. Don't, and, don't I know? Well, and, of course they and can. You have, yeah. And you deal with that in, 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 um, with empathy and in our school anyway. We deal with the issue. Uh, we're lucky we have a good relationship with the parents. And then we move on because, you know, these students are only growing. They're, they're, they're young people. And um, I, I'd be very proud of the students in the school, actually, how to, and, and my staff and how, how we respond. Of course, and you, you have a fantastic school that has a great reputation as well, and it's important to yeah. point that out as well. I suppose if anything good comes out of this, um, they, there's lessons uh, for, for young people in terms of that they don't know what they're inhaling with this stuff, and uh, and it might keep them away from it to some degree? Well, it, from, well I've done a little more research on it. There is definitely, it, it is unregulated. Yeah. Um, 
And I think the, the, the new public health bill wants to introduce a licensing system for it. Um, I do know that some health boards across the world think that e-cigarettes may, may be a lesser evil than, than actual tobacco or cigarettes. But, you know, if, if, if what happened to, to, one, to my, one of my students can happen from a vaping device, the, 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 the consequences of taking the wrong quantity or taking a vape with, the, with, with a, you know, different types of mixes or whatever, it could be quite serious and we don't want that for any of our young people. And that's why I really decided to speak this morning, Fran. It's just people need to be aware of the potential dangers of this. All right, well, we really appreciate you speaking to us this morning and uh, your students are okay, which is the main thing anyway, Peter. Yeah, yeah, and they're, and they're good kids and yeah. have, have, been, have been doing really well in school. It's just that they made a mistake and, yeah. Yeah. and t- t- touch wood, we can all learn from it. All right, Peter, we appreciate your time and uh, my best to, to your students. Thank you so much for coming on with Thanks, us today. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. That's school principal Peter Creedon there speaking to us about uh, uh, those incidents uh, involving uh, some of his uh, students. 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083 Is it time, do you think? Is it time there was some proper uh, legislation? Uh, about vaping and uh, do we need to look at that again we'd love to hear from you where that is uh, concerned I'll take a break and be right back Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage Puck On you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie the Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. One of our listeners on to say, Fran, I just want to comment on Lucy Kennedy's new TV show last night. It was disgusting and shameful. Wondering what your listeners thought of it. If that's what we're paying our licence fee for, it's a disgrace. It's Teresa who's in Ross Great today. Teresa, I didn't see it last night, but uh, Emma didn't see it either, but she Googled it for me and seemingly it was about uh, about sex or a sex toys or something. Was it a sex shop? Um, and some kinky stuff and all sorts of uh, stuff going on there last night. So I didn't see it, but if you did, uh, do you agree with uh, Teresa uh, on that? Or what did you make of Lucy Kennedy's show last night? Oh, yeah, three, three, double one, double three, double one. Now, yesterday we spoke to several of our listeners regarding intimidation, abuse and assault in rural parts of the county. Lots of messages and calls uh, filtering through yesterday on the show. Now, Andrew Stokes is chairperson of Powerstown, a Lisrona Community Alert, and he joins me now. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on. You're, you're very welcome, Andrew. Uh, you were at that uh, meeting last week. Um, what, what about your thoughts following the meeting? I had absolute surprise with the huge number of people that arrived yeah. on, not just from our own small community alert area, but from Kilnall, Carrick, Care, uh, all over South Tipperary, North Waterford. Um, the anger and frustration that was so evident that night, uh, people have just had enough um, once again. Uh, but this time, uh, sorry, when I say uh, uh, again, back in 2016, we had similar meetings yes. and uh, followed those up with uh, meetings with the Minister then uh, of Justice Francis. Um, and nothing was done then. 
six years later, we're back in the same position. But now the violence has increased. And uh, there was lots of promises from Francis Fitzgerald at that time. And I really felt that, you know, there was going to be some change on this, but nothing resulted from that. Uh, no, uh, certain legislation has been changed. And in particular, I think tagging now is uh, very available in our legislation to be used, but it's not being well, it's utilized. it's not being used. No, no, no. And we don't know why. Um in international, other countries around the world, it is being used to great extent, and it works. Uh, why isn't it being done here? Well, uh, th- this is what we don't know and we can't get to grips with, and you would wonder about the appetite out there among politicians to do something about this. Uh, yes, uh, we, we have had great support, and uh, we're, we have a lot of hope right now. Our present uh, Minister for Justice um, is hopeful hopefully going to agree to meet with us very soon. And they themselves have recently released the Rural Safety Plan 2022 to 2024 and utilising that and with increased support from Garda Síochána and other departments uh, we're hopefully going to drive this on and do something about it. What about the resources available to Garda Síochána at the moment, though, because, you know, they're doing their best, I think, Andrew, with with limited resources. They, they absolutely are. Um, and like every department in Ireland at the moment, we're all screaming out for money. There's some charities right the way through education, the whole lot. But one of the driving forces behind any um, survey on people living in Ireland at the moment, what's your number one concern, is safety. We have to start with that and drive that forward. The Gardaí we're meeting, uh, I, I get to deal with them quite a lot in our community. They're amazing. Our local community Gardaí, they do unbelievable work outside of their roster for the community and charities and mm. local clubs and the social scene. Um, yeah, and they just need a lot more support, a lot more funding, uh, a lot more support from the court system, the penal system. Um there's so many cases where they put in a lot of effort and work into getting somebody to the courts. The judges give them a long custodial sentence. They're brought up to Limerick or wherever they're brought to, checked in, given a dinner, given a bus ticket home. And that is fact. How how bad are things? Can you give us an indication of that? Because we spoke to some people uh, yesterday, you, you know, who were literally afraid in their own homes and some people even saying that they would take the law into their own hands because they're so frightened. And uh, just on that, please do not do that. Um, right now in Ireland, criminals have more rights than the victims of crime. That, that's the message we need to drive home and get that point into government. We have no protection. If we go up against them, no doubt we'll end up in court. They won't. Um, the fear out there, it, it's real. It's real what happened to the attack that happened to my neighbour uh, two weeks, nearly two weeks ago now. Um, that was vicious. An absolute vicious assault on him. Um no, we're and limited in what, what we can say because obviously that's under Absolutely, investigation and will be before the courts, I guess, as well, Andrew. Absolutely. Yes. So we, we have to be very... And again, that, that indicates how little right victims of crime have. 
they can say whatever they want, we can't. Um, but it's an unbelievable situation. But uh, the fear of it is that you will be attacked, something will happen, there will be repercussions. Um, the damage that they're doing, uh, a neighbour up in, uh, just outside of Clanmel, uh, they had one of these travelling gangs come through lamping at night uh, through a dry stock farm. The cattle went absolutely ballistic, ended up one of them having to be put down with a broken leg. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and it, as far as I know, that wasn't reported. People have given up reporting it. Uh, the Gardaí do their best to try and do something about it. But again, everyone knows at the moment, if these people are caught, they're brought to court, nothing happens. And that that's one of the things that seems to have emerged from the meeting as well. And later on this week, on Thursday, in fact, we'll be speaking to Superintendent uh, Willie Dee and uh, to the crime officer for Tipperary, uh, Tom McGrath as well. And we're looking forward to that. But one of the things that emerged from the meeting was that it's important to log complaints with the Gardaí. Now, I know that there are issues with that from time to time, but that is very important. It of huge importance, and we're hoping um, very soon we're, we're putting, we're, at the moment we're trying to put together a team, uh, not just of our own area, but adjoining areas and people from Clonmel, from the town itself, from the villages all around. Uh, there's a couple of things under the Rural Safety Plan that we can utilise to bring everybody together, uh, set up a new system whereby it'll, it'll be very easy to log any issues, antisocial behaviour, criminal activity, drug use, drug selling, any of this sort of activity. It'll be much, much easier to do that. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have news on that. There, There is a lot going to happen in the next few weeks. Um, and with, with your experience of what's been happening in rural areas, Andrew, if this is not addressed, do you think there's a real danger of this escalating into something much more serious where somebody will get really, really really badly hurt to the point that people may, may lose their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the case you didn't even have to think of that. You, you uh, Think about that. You, yeah. uh, six, it was about, yeah, it was 2016 when all this um, yeah. uh, came to a head again. Uh, my dad actually sat down and said to me, one of his fears was the government of Ireland was forcing somebody in Ireland into a situation where they will have to make the decision to either die themselves or cause severe injury to somebody else. And that would be somebody living at home or just out for a walk or something, defending themselves. And that's the last thing we want to happen. Um, it really, really is. Yeah, because I spoke to a lovely lady yesterday and she said, you know, like she's living on her own and she said whether it's a, with a shovel or a, a fork or something but I mean that she would defend herself if somebody came and, into her home. And that's what needs to change. Yeah. There needs to be repercussions for this sort of behaviour. Um, so, but there is, there is a lot of hope uh, about to happen. Uh, absolutely. We're, we're quite driven now and with the help of uh, Minister of Justice uh the different departments, the Gardaí, uh, we're going to set up a very, very good scheme that's going to drive out this behaviour. Right, well, and, and I'm delighted that you're optimistic about it, but I've heard it all before, Andrew, with respect, you know. The, absolutely, but the, hopefully this time it's not going to be um, 
uh, a government-driven scheme. It's going to be from our community. Uh, and we're going to need a lot of people in the community to come together and utilising the help that the government do want to give us. The, the politicians we've sp- spoken to, they want to help, but help has to come from ourselves and we have to start this and drive it on. All right, OK. Well, um, we'll be following the story, Andrew, and as usual, any, any anything we can do from here, we'd be delighted to, to do to help that. Is that OK? That is just brilliant. Thank you very, All very right. much. Thanks, and thanks, Andrew. Thank happy you. Happy thank, thank, I hope so indeed. Thank you and bye bye to you now. That's Andrew Stokes there, chairperson of the Paristown Lisrona Community Alert. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 0833113311. Now, Catholic bishops have appealed to the government to extend energy cost supports to churches and parish halls as they grapple with the prospect of drastic closures due to soaring heating costs. At the minute, there's nothing for community facilities uh, that are not grant-aided, such as parish centres and community halls and church buildings and uh, the like. I'm glad to be joined now by great friend of the show, Father Michael Toomey, parish priest, administrator in the parishes of Ardfinnan and uh, Newcastle and uh, Four Mile Water as well. Father Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. Um, what do you make of this? I presume this is very real for you, is it? It is, Fran. I mean, the bishops came out last week and they're all about all kind of community centres, such as churches and, and church halls. And the, the government rightly is giving support to businesses, local businesses. I was looking at the supports available online today um, for those that need help with the soaring you know, energy costs that are happening. Um, now, also, I think the other day that the other people like Gary and dentists and doctor surgeries, all of these people don't get any kind of help and they have overheads as well. So I think it's a case of we were just highlighting on behalf of the church, the church leaders were, that, you know, the government has failed to see that other businesses, like, for example, churches, are on business rates as well. We have to pay the same rates as everybody else, yes. and there's no support there. And I just, he was just highlighting the fact, uh, the bishops, you know, that they met, and they said, look, the, the, this is actually having an impact. As we know, Fran, there's been a great reduction in uh, money coming into churches because of lack of people coming in mm. and all the other overheads. And I know immediately, Fran, people are starting to text into you probably saying, why don't they go to the Vatican and all that? Let me explain it as clearly as possible. I'm the administrator of five churches at the moment. Each church is self-sufficient insofar as we rely on the goodness and the generosity of the people who come to the masses and the services. But the collection taken up simply goes towards the heat, the light and the insurance. The insurance is crippling in a lot of places as well. Uh, three times, sorry, four times a year there's a collection for the priests of the, of the diocese, which, which is what we call a common fund, which pays us. So that's four times a year. But the rest of the year, all the money goes towards, you know, keeping the doors open, keeping the place heated, keeping lights on, uh, getting candles and everything. So each church, just for clarity then, Father Michael, each each church has to be self-sufficient and you don't get funding from any central fund or Vatican fund? No, 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 we can't can't do that. Like, that's not how it works. Now, the Vatican may be very rich, and it isn't, you know, people have the assumption, you know, oh, there's loads of things, sell them. We, we can't do that for various reasons. I won't go into it. Mm. But every parish is individual insofar as we have to pay our own bills. And there are parishes up and down the country. Luckily, thankfully, hand on heart, in my own parishes, people are very good and supportive here. 
Um, we've had a couple of projects in, in all of my churches. All five of my churches have had projects done recently. There's one big one happening in Outfinan in a few weeks' time uh, where we're having the floor redone in Formal Water. The cemetery has had to be redone. And we've just said to people, look, this needs doing. We're going to make a separate appeal, and people have been very generous because it's, it's their parish at the end of the day. Yes. It's where people live. It's their parish community. And like any kind of organisation, like any kind of community, if you want something to work, you're going to have to kind of support it. So I can't, if, if I don't have money to pay the bills at the end of the day, I can't ring the Vatican and say, can I have some money? That's not how it works. We have to manage it ourselves. And I think the bishops were just highlighting the fact that there are many parishes, sadly, up and down the country who cannot continue the way it is at the moment for various reasons, and they will have to close. We look at, for example, the firing. Now, that's a slightly different uh, setup. Yeah. The firing in is closing simply because of the lack of vocation. And I know there's been a lot of goodwill. I've spoken to a number of uh, people and counsellors, indeed, of ideas that we're hoping to keep it open. But the first thing is the cost. If there's no mass, there's no money coming in because there's no collection. So how do you pay the light, the heat, the insurance? It's all the practical things that are there. Now, there are great ideas. And while they're great ideas, and I have to say with caution, we can't do anything at the moment in the diocese. It's not the diocesan... Uh, responsibility at the moment Friary. The Franciscan Friars have their own provincials yes. and they make the decisions of what's happening. So while there's a lot of good talk and a lot of good will to try and keep the Friary open, and 100% I will back any idea if we can do it, we have to wait until the Friary, the, the provincials make their own decision. But they're just the practicalities of, of the, the fact that we're in at the moment. Mm, it's interesting. And Quite a lot of people, I gather, have not come back to Mass post-COVID either, even though we're hardly post-COVID. There has, actually. I've, I've noticed a big increase in the last have couple you? of weeks, Fran. Right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's increasing, and in fairness, people are coming back. Like, for example, we've been able to uh, do a communion confirmation program, bringing the, the students and their parents in. Um, and I've, you know, we've, we had four masses this weekend across uh, four of the churches, big congregations, big. And do you know what? More than anything else, Fran, for me, as I say, and my parishioners know this, I'm not. I'm not a person who get up looking for money mm. unless mm. we're doing a project. I say, look, I'm just glad you're here. And it was wonderful to have so many people back in our churches in the last few weeks. Well, that's it good really because I thought you might have had a fall off in income because not, not everybody no, had come back. But everyone had a fall off in income yes. during COVID, 100%. You know, we had, you know, the challenges there. The, was there any support for, for us? There was, you know, the, the, the COVID pandemic payment. Yes, sure. yeah. You know, there was a question about, you know, could could because some churches employ staff, could we get COVID payments? There was a lot of confusion over it there. Um, and that. There was an example now, Fran, we were with Panda Power in three of my churches, and Panda Power have gone. They, they basically gave us yeah. two weeks' notice we're going, and um, we had to look around again. This is one of the jobs that I have to do. We have to kind of look and kind of shop around. Mm. We have a, a consultancy agency we, we got to involve. We, we gave them different figures. One of them said, look, you might as well stay where you are. The second one said, look, this will automatically refer to another company. I won't mention the company's name. They're at a higher rate because they've been inundated with with applications to go to the company we were looking for. Of course, I know so that it's, it's not as attractive to move from one company to another anymore. Of course you, not. You no, there's no, there's no that. real yes. benefit there. Yeah. And it's more hassle than everything else. Yeah. So they're the realities of the practicalities of running at a church. Yes. Behind, you know, behind the mass and the sacraments, which are the priority, 
to ensure that we have a place of prayer, that it's a welcome place, that it's warm and it's heated. Mm. The second thing we have to do is, you know, we have to manage it. It's like any shop or thing. And Fran, I've been so heartbroken to hear of shops closing down, like O'Gorman's is yeah. shut, yeah. the shop in Clareham's shut. And there's so many more that businesses are really struggling, really struggling. And to people, Fran, who are struggling, I, I would give just a little bit of advice because, as you know, I work with a lot of people. Sure. If you have a problem paying your bill, speak to your company. No matter what bill it is, speak to them. Just engage with them. Don't ignore them. There is help there. Um, there are grants coming through, I know, from the government. But speak to the Vincent de Paul, who may be able to help. And there are, there are so many helps out there. And you're not alone. Everyone is going to have problems paying their bills. Um, as priests, we have to pay our own house bills, our electric, our oil our insurance, everything has to be paid for directly from the, the common fund that we get. So it's not that the church is paying for that, just to clarify that as well, you know. Um, we all have to pay our bills. We're all going to feel the pinch here. Um, that would be my advice to people. From sure. just, and just, are you, you know, hearing from parishioners that they're struggling with the cost of living now? And the... There are there are families struggling at the moment with the yes. cost of living, Fran. You know, and there there is, um, you know, as, as I was on to you before, there's a big homeless situation as well. Um, the homeless situation I was dealing with, I think, six months ago I spoke to you, Fran. They've only now got a house. <laughs> That's six months. So there is yeah. huge problems out there right across the board. But my, my, you know, I can only say, and thanks to you for allowing me here, is just say to anyone who's struggling with whatever kind of bills, we're all in it together, you know. Um, and, we, we, you know, we, we will try and help people as much as possible and advise people, but just engage with your companies and, yes. you know, you know, it's, do what It's you always do. important to, to do that. Um, what can we expect then? Because, I mean, a 50% rise, basically, in, in heating costs. And to heat a church at the best of times must have always been expensive. So what about yeah. now? I mean, is there that danger? Is it a genuine danger that you might have to close the churches at certain times? Yeah, I think it's going to be a possibility, especially in the larger churches in the urban areas, yeah. like Clomel, maybe Mina, and, and Turles. I don't know, because every church will have to evaluate it themselves. Like I know when I was in Clomel, we had the church open every day, and and, and, and Archbishop Farrell said, you know, the homeless do go in, people go in, yeah. just to keep warm, yes. just to get out of the rain, as well as saying a prayer. It is a place. But that happens not just in Ireland, that happened in England when I was there as well. Um, you know, the, the thing about church closures, I sincerely hope not but we have to be realistic as well Fran um, in the coming weeks I'll be meeting the bishop and other priests of how we're going to manage churches and services um, you know at the moment I have five churches um, that will expand soon um, that I'll be helping out in other places as well and called upon to help on other places and it may be a case that we might be able to have a mass every week in every church maybe every other week or in some places that they have at the moment once a month so a church is only open once a month to celebrate uh, their, their services. That happens in the Church of Ireland a lot at the mm. moment, because I was speaking to Reverend Robert the other day in Tullagmina Church. They only have a service once a month. So there is not only just the cost, but there's the availability of priests and ministers to be able to mm. celebrate sacraments and to celebrate... And that would be so disappointing to so many of your... Huge, I guess. Yeah. huge. I mean, of the five churches I have, every every one of them, they have a cohort of people who are genuine who will be there, and they're very accommodating. Like, for example, this week I have to cancel one of my weekday masses because I have something else on in a school, which which is taking me away. And people are very accommodating. They know yes. that, that this yeah. is going to happen because I don't have cover to say the mass, the normal weekday mass. Um, so there will be a lot of changes and a lot of challenges about and. You know, there'll be a lot of talking to people and asking people just to let them know. 
I will do everything I possibly can to to maintain the service we have, but I also have to be realistic for myself, and I'm only one person. Of course, of course. And if I'm doing five churches, you have, you know, funerals and weddings and baptisms and everything else about it. And, and, and I have Ardfin in Newcastle and Four Mile Water. The other two, Father Michael, are... You, so Ardfin and Ballybacon and Grange oh, yes. is one parish, and then Newcastle and Four Mile Water is the other. And I'll be assisting in the Nair and Tornina, and I help in Clahim and Father Bobby's way, and Bobby will cover me when I'm away. Yeah. So that's how we're kind of spread out around here at the moment, um, as well as a chaplain to four schools and uh, the high school in Carmel. So I'm busy. I'm not overworking. I'm just making sure I can do what I can. And I've had to say, friends, people sometimes know, uh, yeah. which is heartbreaking. You know, in the old days, you know, priests were able to stay a mass in a house or, you know, extra cemetery yeah. masses or this. And I've had to start saying to people, I can't do it anymore because I just can't, you know. And there's so many other different things going on. And I don't say no just because I'm being lazy, far from it. It's just I physically will, will drop otherwise. So I've had to manage it as well. Um, but I knew this was coming, Fran. You know, I knew when I was becoming a priest, I knew there'd be big challenges like this, the fallen vocations, the lack of priests, mm. the number of churches. Um, so there will be serious discussions in the coming weeks, the Bishop of OSA and the Vicar Generals, and how are we going to make our churches as welcome as possible and support them as best as possible, um, but without killing ourselves in the process. It's it's well, you must mind yourself anyway, and I know well how busy you are. Um, Father Michael will will be following this with great uh, interest. And again, yeah. as I said to Andrew earlier on, if we can help you in any way, we'd be delighted to. Uh, yeah, can I just uh, say just uh, as well, friend, just a special sure. prayer for everyone in Christ today. Um, the funerals are beginning today, and as bad as life is, I, I mean that has just been an absolutely catastrophic. It's unimaginable, isn't it? Unimaginable. Yeah. And, um, you know, my thoughts and prayers, we, we said Mass on RTE for them yesterday, um, and, it, and it just is. But on a happier note, Frank, can I congratulate you and Emma on your award last oh, week as well? So well-deserved. Well-deserved, and thanks for all you're doing as well, keeping us all up to date with everything happening in Tipperary. Thanks, Father Michael. Thank you, and good morning to you, and thank you for coming on with us. That's Father Michael Toomey speaking to us uh, this morning. 1800 the text and WhatsApp, 83 the Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Still getting in lots of stuff about that Lucy Kennedy show last night. As I say, I didn't see it now, so I'm shooting in the dark here. One of our listeners saying uh, Lucy Kennedy should have had more cop on than to present a show such as that. Pure disgusting, even some scenes in the beginning were disgusting. RTE should be fined for showing it. Um, wouldn't blame people for not paying the licence. Somebody else saying that Lucy didn't seem all that comfortable with what she witnessed, and that's according to uh, Anne. And, uh, yeah, I gather, was it in a sex shop or something, and uh, your man was showing her sex toys? Is that what went on? We're just trying to Google it to find out what the story was. But anyway, uh, moving on. Former uh, Cashel County Councillor Tom Wood has recently proposed the restoration of town councils to the Minister of State for local government, Peter Burke, and uh, he got a reply, and Tom joins me now. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed, thanks for coming on with us. Um, A very comprehensive answer in some ways, Tom, but not the answer that we would have all wanted. Yeah, a very comprehensive answer, as you said. 
but I mean, the bottom line is at least we now know that the government has no plans to reintroduce town councils. <clears throat> so for me, that was the the principal line in the in the response. Now, remember, of course, it, it, it wasn't one of the three political parties involved in mm. government. It's the three of them because it says no plans to reintroduce town councils, and it's the government have no plans. Yeah, and and some of the reasoning behind it, I mean, they're talking about the financial implication, but I mean, we're hearing eye-watering sums at the moment for various different things, and the cost would only be about 12 million per annum, which is small potatoes, really. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they gave a figure there, the cost between 28 and 38 million per year for to reinstate 72 town councils. You know, I mean, as you said, the, the, the amount of money in question is minimal. In, in Cashel's case, I mean, we already have the official buildings that were there. Yes. They were only constructed and opened back in the year 2000. So you have all those services there. So, you know, as I said in the past, the amount of money that was spent in relation to allowances for the nine elected members was, was, was a pittance in comparison to the amount of work that was being done. Uh, in the year prior to the... The, the close down of the town council just short of fifty thousand euros in the year uh, for for the nine councillors. That was what the their representational payments were. And uh, you know we had we had democracy at local level. That's what we got from it. The other interesting point, Fran, is that that in in the course of of the response, uh, he says there's a, a limited demand for change. Yes, and he refers to, you know, responses or, you know, any any contacts from uh, members of, of the municipal authorities nationally now, not just, we'll say, locally, that, the, that there was limited response for change uh, from that sector as well. Well, I mean, <laughs> I suppose you wouldn't be surprised with that because if anybody is in a position, elected to a position, uh, they'd be a bit worried if their position might come under threat or if, you know, in, the, in a, a future election. So a lot of what was of the responses, you know, yeah. also saying that, you know, it only represented, town councils only represented uh, 14% of the entire population, whereas the municipal authorities represent 100%. Now, we'll accept, we know that the municipal authorities do represent 100%, but I mean, the 14% for town councils is because you had so few town councils anyway. You know, yeah. there were so many towns in the country that never had a town council, and, and that probably should have had. And towns even with bigger populations even than Cashel that never had a town council. So, you know, to kind of give that as an excuse that, you know, it, it wouldn't serve uh, enough of the population. But as everyone knows, our towns have grown substantially in the last couple of years. Every town has grown. And, and Demands in the towns are, are, are very different to the demands as well in rural areas. And at the same time, if you had the town council, you still had that great cooperation between the municipal authority and the town council. And a lot of what was happening was a benefit to both sectors, to rural and to... And, and what do you say about the other claim that, you know, that certain things that were happening were be, you know, be, be, there, there were dual things happening and there was crossover between the, the, the town council and the, the county yeah, council? Yeah, well, I mean, that... That will happen in any in yes. any structure if it's not properly structured. You know, I, I mean, as I said, I worked with the town council. I was an elected member of the town council and actually at the same time for over 20 years was a, a member of the municipal authority yes. here, the Cashel Municipal District. And I mean, 
I couldn't see any overlapping once the job was done properly. And and I mean, you well, may talk about the duplication of administrative work, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, that didn't happen in our case. Did it not? Be- yeah. Because, I mean, the engineers that we had, uh, they were also approachable in relation to, to urban and rural uh, situations. And, and, and uh, it worked well here in Cashel. So I could only speak from the experience that I had as being a, an elected member of both of the authorities and also in the last number of years of, of being a, a citizen of Cashel uh, and, uh, as well. So that the loss has been huge. Mm. And again, uh, you know, I still say that the benefit of having the, the town council w- w- was, was significant. Yes. The, the and, accuracy and you, of us as well, Tom, would concern me. Um, in the very final paragraph of the response to you, they say there were compelling reasons for replacing town councils which remain valid. But the former Labour leader came out and said it was the worst decision that was made. I know, and regretted it, actually, and, yeah. and actually stated that there wasn't enough consideration given to it at the time. And even he himself has, has been proposing the reintroduction of, of, of the town councils uh, at, at, at a government level. But, you know, at the end of the day, look, there'll be local elections, presumably, in, in, in May or June of, of 2024. That's less than party, maybe about a year and a half yeah. away. And I, I know that in Cashel, being from talking to a number of people who, uh, you know, who realised the significance of not having the town council. Uh, I know that there are some people I feel that will be prepared to actually, if there isn't a town council election, they will prepare to stand in, in the municipal election, which they would never have done in the past, because, you know, they feel that that's, it's necessary to highlight it and it's necessary to have to have sufficient representation. I mean, we had nine town councillors. Uh, we, we could have you know, they could have reduced it to seven if they were really worried about the numbers. Mm, mm. But in the Cashel Municipal District, we have three representatives on the, on the care Cashel Tipperary Municipal District at the present time. And, you mean, there is a, a lot of work going on in, in both the rural and the urban area. But even, as, as you said yourself in the past on programmes that we were talking about it, you know, so much was achieved by the fact of just having the town council outside of all the works of relating to housing and roads and sanitation, etc., etc., in the tourism area, you know, in, in the fact that you had the, um, a mayor, you had status as well, and, and lots of things were proposed. We were able to meet with the Office of Public Works if we were concerned mm. about maybe developments at the Rock or etc., etc. You had all of that, the HSE involvement <clears throat> with the hospitals. And, you know, it all came from the local people, and that was what local democracy is all about. And as I said to you before, most of the European countries, local democracy starts local. It starts with our town. It was a bit of a double whammy in Tipperary as well, because not only did we lose the town councils, but we had the amalgamation of both ends of uh, the county. Uh, a lot of people have said on this programme, Tom, that just is not working efficiently. What uh, You know, as a former t- uh, county councillor, yeah. how would you feel about that? Yeah, well, of course, we have, within the entire county, we have the, the structure of having five municipal districts in total. But, I mean, we still have North Tipperary and South Tipperary in relation to a lot of other services. Yeah, yeah. Even within the health service, <clears throat> South Tipperary is still in, in, the, in the southeast region and, and, and uh, North Tipperary is in the midwest region. So you, you still have a lot of division there. So it never really united 
a county as such for all the different purposes that you would expect, uh, be it health or whatever it was. So you, you do have that problem as well. Mm. And, and um, you know, as I said, it, it's, it's the representation part of it. It's the fact that people were able to associate and relate to staff and to different people within the council services. I mean, we had, we had some great council staff here, great officials over the years. And, and because they were connected to the town and in the town every day, you know, they walked the streets. You didn't have to go all over the place course, to explain yeah. to somebody, as you often have to do now, where, where such a street is even, if you need maybe a job done under, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, it worked. And mm. I'm just disappointed that that's the position that they're in. I'm pleased to note that at least it's... Um, I won't be wasting my time getting on to the, the three parties in government about right, it anymore. Because they've said because no. It's yeah. a government decision. It's not just a Fine Gael or a Fianna Fáil or a Green Party decision. It's a government decision. And um, pity that the elected members of municipal authorities throughout the country mm. are not more supportive of, of having the reintroduction of town councils. And, you know, the reintroduction would change as if they were needed. Because at the end of the day, as you said from the very beginning, the cost involved is, is, is pittance in comparison to the service that a town council can give and has given in the past. For sure. The other point they make, and I'd love your opinion on this, is that, you know, this municipal district system, that it's closer to the European norm. Is, is that true? Well, I mean, I go and you know from experience uh, over the years and even in recent times, at European level, of course you have large uh, councils and whatever in, in various areas, but you start from the grassroots. You start with your town council. That is why, you know, Cashel many years ago was selected to represent Ireland, uh, you know, on, on the, the rural communities and small councils. They were all small councils in England and in France and in Germany and Spain, etc. Do you remember we had that great gathering yeah. in, in 2011 here in Cashel when the, the 27 countries of the European Union were represented here by members elected to town councils in their own countries? And that's what they were. They weren't representing large municipal districts, which of course you'll have in other countries as well. But it's the fact of not having... Uh, that democratic system more local to you. And especially, as I said, when populations all over the country in every town have grown significantly now, significantly in the, in the last decade alone. And, and that need is there. And, and uh, sadly, it's not there now so anymore. is this it, Tom? <coughs> it's, it's done and dusted, is it? Well, it'll be interesting to see what maybe the parties in opposition at the moment have to say in relation to it. Uh, they're still very, very quiet on it. I mean, I make contact with all our municipal councillors in the county uh, in, in, you know, a few weeks ago in relation mm. to it. I got about five responses, like, from about 40 people elected. I didn't get any response from our Oireachtas members. So I, I'm sure that most of those people already knew that it was the policy of the present government not to introduce town councils again in time for uh, the, the municipal elections and the local elections expected, as I said, in 2024. But, you know, time will tell. Right, but you, you got no response from our TDs? I was disappointed with the lack of response. I'd say in, in overall I probably made contact with Less, just less than 50 elected members at different levels and different categories. I got about five responses in total. All right, it's interesting. Uh, Tom, as always, thanks very much okay, for coming you're on welcome. with us. Thank you and bye-bye bye. to you now. That's uh, former county councillor, cashelman Tom Wood there, speaking about uh, the response that he got to his uh, 
proposal to uh, the Minister of State there on uh, the restoration of town councils. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 311 As always, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Uh, still getting in some uh, reaction to uh, Lucy Kennedy's show on RTE last night. Fran, porn, that's what it was. No wonder people look at that and think that carry-on is okay. Sky have that on an adult channel. Uh, RTE gone to the dogs. Shame on them and shame on Lucy Kennedy. Anything goes with them, says one of our listeners. Uh, Joe says, tell Tom Wood that the town council is no loss. Uh, Mick was on to us on that, Mick O'Brien, and he says Clonmel has had three versions of councils. It had a corporation, then a borough council, and now a talking shop, a satellite of the county council. It has 12 members, but now with less than half that. That was Phil Hogan's legacy to us in 2014. There wasn't a whimper from Finnegal at the time. Turkey's voting for Christmas. We also had a listener... Uh, on to us who has children attending Colossia uh, doing this gig and uh, she said that she had serious concerns about young people and vaping she has a child attending the school who refused to go into school yesterday because um, they were so frightened by what they witnessed last Friday Caller feels a, a need for harsher punishments for students involved in this behaviour and it should result in immediate expulsion. It is, after all, she says, a serious breach of school rules. Um, she'd be interested to hear what punishment was giving and uh, a strong message needs to be sent out that this behaviour will not be tolerated uh, from any students. Now, I put that to the school principal earlier on and uh, Peter felt that he couldn't discuss um, whatever was put in place there by way of punishment for, for students so you couldn't discuss that with us on air 1800-938-007 Now following last week's public meeting in Monroe um, we've been discussing the issues around intimidation, threat and trespass in rural areas while well, Imelda Walsh is a regular contributor to the programme former chair of North Tipperary uh, IFA Good morning to you Imelda Good morning, Fran. Good morning to all your listeners. And it's really good to talk to you today, Imelda. The, the, I, I guess this was no surprise to you. Not in the least, Fran. I suppose back in 2018, a number of farmers had come to me early in 2018 in respect to, um, I suppose, people coming out of cities onto their lands, in particular in the Tumivara area at the time. And they were hugely concerned. They were coming out with dogs, lurchers, under that guise, but there was concerns in relation to their coming, I suppose, looking up properties, seeing what people living on their own, how easy, accessible it was to winter farmyards, etc. And it, it grew from there, friend, to the point that we actually, at the time, 
held an open meeting later in 2018 and in the Abbey Court Hotel and we booked the meeting room but such was the crowd on the night brand that we actually ended up having to use the ballroom there was such a crowd of people attended it from as far away as Cork on the night and on that night we had on Garda Shia Corner present and we also had um um, I suppose people that could give advice in respect of CCTV. And we also on the night had Clive Clark from Ashgate Farm. I think Clive may have been on your programme in mm. the past, Brad. Yes, And um, discussing um, his stories. And I suppose what stood out for me and has st- stuck in my mind in the last four years was the huge bunch of keys that Clive had in relation to protecting his property. So virtually you were almost becoming a prisoner in your own home. But following on from that, friend, I had a meeting with the then Minister for Justice, um, Charlie Flanagan, and I suppose the huge annoyance with amongst farmers and the community in general was, Fran, the fact that it, it appeared as if the criminals had all the rights and all of the rest of us decent people had no rights whatsoever. Yeah, and that's and what the, has emerged from this meeting as well. This is the way people are thinking, Imelda. And, and without a doubt, Fran, and I suppose we're saying that, and even for Angarda Shia Corner, that we see these people, they've had numerous convictions, and it's like a revolving door. The Gardaí do their job, and they bring them before the courts, and they're coming out, and let's be honest, Fran, they're giving Angarda Shia Corner the two fingers on the way out, because this is just um, the way it has been for them. It's just in one door, and out of the other door, it's just a revolving system. They're out on bail. They have free legal aid. And that was something that our members at the time felt very, very strongly about in relation to the free legal aid. Everybody's entitled to free legal aid if there's an offence. But if you have people that are continuously having offences or continuously before the courts, there was a feeling, even if they were on social welfare payments, that part of that money should go towards uh, contributing to their free legal aid. We just actually felt that, that the ordinary, the victim, was no way supported or helped, but that all the help and support of the state was in actual fact going towards the criminals. And even in respect yeah. of, I suppose, CCTV, friends, because at that time, like many, many farmers have cameras on their farm because of their calving cows. So it would have been quite easy to put uh, an additional camera facing out on the road. But we were told because of GDPR and all the issues associated with that, that that wasn't possible. So that's what I'm saying, Fran, it appeared, and it still appears to me, and listening uh, last week in relation to that side incident in South Tipperary, nothing has actually changed. And we voiced those concerns to the then Minister for Justice at the time in respect of how ordinary, decent people felt and that they felt that they weren't being, um, I suppose, protected want a better word. Yeah, and you mentioned Charlie Flanagan, and I know Andrew was talking to us about uh, his meeting with Francis Fitzgerald that at the time, I think it was 2016, when, you know, he, he got very positive vibes about something would it might be done. Now we're hearing about meetings with Helen McEntee. Um, but why why do you think, and from your involvement with, with farming politics and the like, Imelda, why isn't there an appetite to deal with this? Because it can be dealt with. Of course it can be dealt with, Fran, because when I see in relation to the rest of us, I'm just thinking in with farmers, with farm inspections, and somebody comes into our farm to do an inspection, they have a map of our farm, an aerial map where they can see exactly what's happening, okay, on the farm. It's as if they were just there taking that, that photograph. Yes. And it, it, it is so clear and concise. And my con- my wondering is, in why we can do this in relation to, we say, inspections and all of the things, and I have no issue with inspections, Fran, but why the same cannot be done in relation to, I suppose, catching criminals. And also, Fran, we need more guardy on the beach. We, we saw it during COVID. There was a greater guard of presence. 
when you know at, at that particular mm. time because the young guard Feeney guardies in Templemore were out helping on Gardaí corner yes. in the different stations. And Operation Thor was was in full flight at that time as well. Unbelievable, exactly. Yeah. And like when you think back with where all the resources could be put in place that time in stopping us from going outside five kilometres, but at the same time. When there's criminals at bay, there seems to be an issue in relation to dealing with it and in relation to, I suppose, the availability of squad cars and guard personnel and everything else. But if there's not a visible guard presence, and that's hugely, hugely important, and that was something that came very, very strongly from the audience that attended that meeting on the night, that the need for a greater guard of presence, would say, in relation to, I suppose, on the streets. Um, and on, look, we have a lot of these criminals, Fran, using the motorways. And um, I'm, I'm thinking back even in relation to Robert Rocher there in, in Littleton at mm. the time. Was saying yeah. that, and like his farm was quite close to the M8 and um, he was constantly being at, um, his premises being broken yeah. into and Robert, mm. I think it actually happened to, uh, to Robert at the time of a family bereavement. So it, it, it's, it's hugely frustrating. And as you said there, like we've, had a number of ministers for justice and they have failed to actually deal with this. And I'll be honest, Fran, I'm not overly confident um, while all this talking is going that there's actually anything going to be done because it, to me, Fran, it's, it's unbelievable that somebody with hundreds of convictions are still walking around out among the, on the streets amongst us and that they're not being dealt mm. with. And even their court situation, the history of their convictions can't be used against them, so... No, and, and this and these concurrent sentences, and it's really, really frustrating because for anybody that has, would say, has been subjected to somebody breaking into the property, coming onto their land, the intimidation. Because I remember back at that time there had been a case in North County, Dublin, and the community there, not together, came very well together, but a farmer had been badly beaten up at that particular time in North County, Dublin. And it actually was the straw that broke the camel's back in relation to actually dealing with it. And at that time, there was a lot of effort put into actually dealing with that. But that needs to be replicated, Fran, across the country. We had just a situation whereby something becomes a headline case and it's dealt with. Because for everybody that's a victim, just because it's not on the radio or on the television or on the newspapers, their situation needs to be dealt with, Fran, and they need to get the support. And the criminals need to be brought to justice and not just lip service in and out revolving door situation, Fran. What about the tagging? Um, what, what is your information on that, Amela? Because I thought that legislation was put in place that some of these culprits could be tagged in some way. Um uh, but I, I think the legislation is in place, but it's not enacted in some way. It's not enacted, and that's and, and therein it's, it's more than like the the CCTV front. There doesn't seem to be a willingness there to go the extra step in actually making this mandatory and dealing with it. And like we all accept, even like you know, in relation to GDPR and people's rights and their privacies and everything else. But at the same time. We, I think there has to be a mechanism whereby we can deal with and manage GDPR, but at the same time manage the situation span. And as regards to tagging, to me, somebody that's a repeat offender, it shouldn't even be up for question. It should be just automatically done. If somebody, like we've, we've seen cases where people have maybe up to 170 and 80 convictions and they're still walking around out there. Yeah, it, 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 but, you know, I didn't want to burst Andrew's bubble, but I have to agree with you. I'm not hugely hopeful, but, you know, I, hopefully I'll be proved wrong about this. Well, well, likewise, friend, likewise, friend. But when I see this, like, you know, because last week, and I, I suppose thoughts came back to me of the huge crowd that attended our yeah, meeting back yeah. in 2018, meeting the Minister for Justice was saying that, and... Um, 
obviously while he was usually sympathetic and had huge empathy towards the people and because I on that day actually brought Andrew um, uh, um, Clark with us uh, in relation to, to, to his his situation yes. and you know and everything else but at the same time with say Fran nothing came of it with saying that and we got back documentation from the Department of Justice what was going to be done but I don't see anything that was suggested that was going to be done actually having been enacted and being put in place so for people out there and we're facing into the winter time of the year the darker evenings the darker mornings and with the whole thing with electricity and we've been told this is I even found this amusing to, to turn off more lights and it certainly is it, it, beg, it beggars belief for saying that because I know we ourselves in our own farm at home put in a, um, a lot of lighting on the farm that, you know, that is quite lit up, that it may deter people. Because any of us living in rural Ireland, we are quite isolated where we live. And now we're being told to turn up all the lights. So it's certainly making it an awful lot easier for criminals for, to for come criminals, on into dark course, of the night. Yes. Exactly, and, or people driving into your premises. And just finally, can I ask you, Imelda, because we were accused of this yesterday, you know, of blowing it out of proportion about the amount of people living on their own in rural areas who are frightened. But again, can I ask you for your experience of this? Is that is a reality, isn't it? That That is a massive, massive reality. And for an awful lot of people, and I suppose we became more aware of it probably during COVID, and there was huge support put in, in relation to visiting and calling on those people. And let's be honest, when COVID stopped, so did that. There's a huge amount of people that are dreading the long nights coming. Time will be changing the end of the month. We're saying that it'll be dark at four o'clock in the evening. And for many people, except perhaps for the postman calling, they'll see nobody. They live in huge fear and hear a sound outside. We're saying that they're, they're absolutely terrified. And unfortunately, in rural Ireland, there are a huge amount of people living on their own, a huge elderly population, particularly in the farming community, because the age profile of farmers is quite elderly anyway, Fran. And, you know, and there's lots of other people outside of farming with living on their own, couples living on their own, or worse again, single people living on their own and feeling that there's... When they hear of the case, like we further the case last week in South Tipperary, that fear grows, we're saying that, and that gets into their mind. And it's... And I suppose when you hear the discussions, and we're all aware that there's not enough of support out there in relation to dealing with it. There's not enough of a guard presence. And I have huge sympathy for the Gardaí because I know at the time they were fantastic. I'm thinking between Nina Garda Station and Garda Declan or Carl was absolutely mm. fantastic and anything he could do to help us in meeting with us. But for them, I, I and I said this him on several occasions, I have huge sympathy because I felt for them, they went out and done the work and then suddenly, with they go into the court system, and these criminals are back out as soon as they are, and they're giving the guardies the two fingers. And let's be honest about it. And that's the realities of it, Fran. But there doesn't seem to be the willingness at the part of government in relation to actually dealing with this. And this, I suppose, is endemic of of the government in at the moment in respect of many, many situations, um, whether it's homelessness, whether it's the housing crisis, whatever it may be, it just seems to be that there's nothing actually dealt with and brought to a successful conclusion. It's lots of talking shops, which are of no use to people. We actually need actions rather than words, Fran. All right. Imelda, it's always good to talk to you, and thank you for coming Likewise, on with me friend. this morning. Thanks, thank Imelda. You. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. It's Imelda Walsh, very frequent contributor to our show and often part of our panel as well. And, of course, former chair of North Tipperary IFA, um, 1800 007. I've been trying to work out what the story is on this um, tagging, and seemingly it seems to be down to the prosecution to apply to the judge uh, in question that if there's a bail situation that the perpetrator or the, the, the whatever you want to call them would be 
um, tagged in some way. But it can come about if there's an application from the prosecution to the judge. And that's what I'm gathering so far on it. But again, as usual, um, all of this seems very, very complex and so when it should be very simple. Anyway, 1800-938-007. I'll be right back to you. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Mick and Clonmel tells me that the Lucy Kennedy show was not on RTE. It was, in fact, on Virgin Media One. Thanks for that, Mick. Um, and uh, glad to clear that up as well. We're still getting a lot of people onto us. In fact, it's something we'll go back to because a lot of people are rather incensed about the content of Lucy Kennedy's show last night. And, uh, yeah, we'll probably have a look at it later on and we might get back to this tomorrow. Siobhan and Kerr makes a very interesting point. She says... Remember the late Veronica Gearin. The laws were amended and strengthened after her death. And this is what has to be done in relation to all of this criminality. Uh, Where there's a will, there's a way. It's now or never. Stop the excuses. It doesn't take Einstein to see the solution. That's uh, Siobhan and Kerr. 83 Now, much of the rhetoric around the intimidation and threat in rural areas was pointing at the travelling community and the tendency is to tire the entire community with the same brush. Well, Alan Monaghan is a settled traveller based in Cashel and has spoken to us in the past and uh, he joins me now. Alan, good morning to you. Well, Fred, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thanks so much for coming on with me this morning, Alan. I really appreciate it. Um, What do you make of the recent controversy? Basically, they're they're meant to be lamping in the fields around the farmers, the whole lot and everything. Fred, I told my hands up. I did a bit of lamping in my time with my sons, and they were only young at the time. Mm. So they were. But I did it the proper way. So that I went to them farmers. I got permission. So that and everything. And if there were sheep in the land, we'd keep away from it. The whole lot, everything. Like if I went to the field and I was only hunting a few rabbits, so that I'm not going to look at their farm. The farm wouldn't interest me at all. So that I'm only out to pass away tonight, and I'd rather my sons with me in a field lamping a bit than down around the town causing antisocial behaviour. And you'd ask permission of the landowner, and was that normally granted, Alan? Yeah, no, sometimes there was, some friend, but yeah. sometimes there was. And to use a say, fair play, you came and you asked, and they'd allow you. Right, and if they said no, you, you'd move on? I'd move on, and I'd go to another person. Right. So, but, um, no, I don't do it in the recent years now anyway, but I only had I did at one time, but I did it the proper way about it. Right. And is that part of a a, a tradition within the travelling community? It is, Fred. Yeah, it's like the horses anyway. They like doing their lamping as well. So right. they do. What but do not everyone. No, I can't talk for everyone, friend. Yeah. So I can't, like, when I want to land anywhere and that their farm, I'd keep away from the farm. Right. I'd, I'd be keeping from the farm as far as I can anyway. I'm only out for a few rabbits with the young fellows. Yes. That's all I am. 
And I presume I, then, Ellen, that you would disagree with people coming onto land, um, whether they're from the travelling community or whatever, uh, without permission and, you know, uh, spooking the, the animals and all of that. Oh, certainly, yes. You do it the right way. You get permission. It's like if you want to do a, a collection of town, you go and get a permit. Yes. You just, you go, you get permission off them and say, no, you move on. And if something gives you permission, fair enough, you do it. So you do. I don't agree with that either. Like, not going out to anyone's land. It's trespassing. Right. At the end of the day. Are, are there they different, uh, would you help me to understand this, are there different aspects of the travelling community in terms of the people who might be perpetrating stuff like this, like like that's illegal acts and the like, and people like yourself who do it the right way, it, is there, is it like the settled community in that there's good and bad in every in every community? There is, friend. Look, friend, I know loads of people and they're settled and they lamp. They do lamping. So they do. And they're in actually the settled community. Right. You just don't have to go to the travellers to do it. Now, they probably picked it up off the travellers, but they do do it. Right. So they do. It's like there's good and bad in every community. So there is. Right. And what do you make of it? I mean, the moment this conversation starts, and it does appear that some elements of, uh, uh, you know, these these incursions onto land were, were from the travelling community, but does it bother you that the moment that starts, it opens up the whole agenda to it being about having a go at the travellers? It is. It's basically, a lot of it can be down to discrimination. So again, like... If travellers go onto the land and that farmer comes down to them, this farmer's supposed to be afraid. I've seen it firsthand a lot of the time, so I did, that the, the farmers did actually take their law into their own hands. In in, in what way now? In about 10 of them gathering around with hundreds of pigs. So I did. Blocking in car, the cars. They let you get, let you leave the land and go. And, and, and the younger days. And tell me about that again. That farmers will gather together in in a number of them to what? Basically, well, no, no, the guards would come on eventually and move you on your way and that. But and if we, the guards are there, you right. won't know what break out what happened. And would that be to move you off land, Alan, or? It'd be to move them off the land, yeah. Right. So, there is people that break the law, friend, on both sides, travelled and settled. So to do. Do you, do you worry about stuff like this escalating into violence? I mean, you said yourself that, you know... It, it possibly, it could. It, see, it all depends on the people there at that time. Yes. It all depends on that. Like, yeah, I can't speak for everyone. Do you get me? Yes. Okay. I can't speak for them. It's just, it depends who they are at that time and that. And then if the farmers are taking on more, and then if they're coming down with handles and picks the whole lot and everything, if someone was hit, does someone going to retaliate? So right. it could escalate sometimes. No, sometimes it don't. And you would have seen some of that over the years, would you? Maybe the younger years now. I see it now. When but then we... I. We just we start getting permission the whole lot and everything and, yeah. and then it's just the easiest way of doing it. So and some of the farmers lovely. That you would have got on fine with. Yeah. Oh brilliant. Are, are there gangs of travellers that, that come around the country areas? I, I mean in your experience. 
found in in Lampen, you you couldn't bring a gang of lads because when you're Lampen, you scare the rabbits at night, and you only need two, three people at the most. Right. It's actually if you bring a a gang, you're going to be talking in the field. You're going to get door rabbits, <laughs> basically. So it's only actually two or three at the most. And, so you actually two at a time. And you'll have to forgive me because I don't understand lamping. I mean, what what is the idea? You obviously use strong lamps around a field to blind the rabbit. Is that it? So that yeah, you can and, capture the rabbit. Yes, and release the lurcher then, and the dog picks up the rabbit. Yeah. Right. Can you understand why why people on their own might feel frightened when they see the lamps in the field and see, you know? I do, I do. I understand people living on their own anyway, especially the elderly anyway. Yeah. I do. But if you're lamping anyway, you shouldn't be that close to the house anyway. Or the farm anyway. Right, if you're doing it properly. If you're doing it properly. You're you're there to get rabbits anyway, not to be up your own near a farm. Do you, do you believe that, you know, I mean, whether it's travellers or whoever, but, I mean, if they're breaking the law and if they're frightening people, should they be brought to book, Alan? Should they be? See, well, if they're breaking the law, yes. That's what's for settled and travellers. Yes. And who breaks the law should be held, for, held accountable for what they did. Yeah. Like, that's both sides. So it is. Like, you can't break the law nowadays anyway. And that goes for travellers or settled. Hmm. So it does. And what about, the, you know, what a marriage... And I don't expect you to speak for all travellers. You were speaking to me on your own account here. and so, But yeah. that, you know, that there's criminal activity by travelling groups that sort of... It's covered up by them saying we're just lamping rabbits or whatever. And there's other stuff going on. See, and that's... Like, I think there's... As you said, I can't speak for everyone. Yes. There's good and bad in every community, so there is. Yes. There's good and bad in them communities. I can't speak for, like, if I went in Lampen into a field and I got permission anyway, and then a crowd come in behind me, I can't be held accountable for what they did. Like, I can't speak for everyone. Right. And and within the, the, the broader travelling community itself, would you have issues with certain aspects of the travelling community for maybe giving people like yourself a bad name and will, will, will there be issues there among yourselves? Oh, friend, yeah. Like, there is travellers that can give other travellers bad names the whole lot, actually. It's like settled people as well. Like, But like yeah. in the settled people, they don't get bad names. Traveller only gets bad names from the discrimination anyway. So they do. Like, in some settled people anyway, there could be bad names for people anyway, but they're not all tired of the one brush where yeah. travellers are. So they are. And you, you think they are always tired with the same brush? Yeah, they are, actually, friend, yes. They're always tired with the one brush. So they are. Right. Uh, James says it's not all travellers, but it's always travellers. In other words, that, you know, whenever this comes up, it appears to be travelling community. Um, yes. Yeah. And I know a lot of settled people that do lamping. So a lot, I won't mention names, but I know a lot of people that do say uh, Lampen and they're actually settled. So they are. Yeah, what what do you say to a listener, Alan, who would say travellers think they can do whatever they want by right? Um, no, sir. There's law in the country. Yeah. No, nobody can do that on both sides. If that's the case, then it'd be lawless, I reckon. Yeah. So, no. Has... 
Have things improved, do you think, between both communities and, you know? No, not really, friend. No. Because Charles will always be discriminated against, always. In the eyes, in the eyes of settled people anywhere. There's a few words they can call travellers, but... And that'll be always in the eyes of the settled. No, no matter what? No matter what. And I think, friend, there's nobody born discriminating. There's nobody born racist. It starts from above. So, so it's, it it's taught to them, you think, Alan, is it? Yes. Like, there's nobody born racist. Yeah. There's there's all sorts of stuff coming in here uh, about, uh, but, you know, none of it, well, very little of it anyway is positive towards travellers. Is that a surprise to you? It actually is. <laughs> yeah. So it is, friend. Yeah. Well, Alan, we appreciate you coming on with us today, and it was very good of you to do so. And uh, thanks thanks for that, Alan. Thanks a million, friend. Thank you, and look after yourself. My best to your family you. as well. Bye-bye. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. As Alan's uh, speaking to us today, how do you feel about that? 1800 938 007. Freely saying, you know, that there's there's good and bad in every community. And there is with the travelling community, there is with the settled community as well. Uh, somebody saying the prison figures speak for themselves, Fran. Uh, lamping is just cruel, no need for it. Um, it can't be nice people doing it. It should be banned outright. Uh, it shouldn't be on people's land, uh, regardless of your background. There's criminal activity in all backgrounds, says one of our listeners today. Uh, yeah, of course, that brings up the whole discussion then on coursing, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, a lot of people feeling that's a, a very cruel sport as well. And then some people saying it's part of our, our culture and our heritage and all of that. Uh, Fran, when minority groups re- receive uh, preferential treatment and uh, they're then treated the same as everybody else, it's discrimination. The worst thing ever to happen to the travelling community is to be classed as an ethnic uh, minority. They're Irish people uh, and they're playing this up, says one of our listeners. One of fairness, Alan didn't mention anything about um, about uh, the ethnic minority uh, status there. We'll take a break and we'll come back to this in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. The Imro Radio Award-winning TIP Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Oh, a listener says, and this is referring to the Lucy Kennedy um, show last night on Virgin. Um, and a listener says, what he called women's parts is what I had an issue with. Um, I felt that uh, Lucy looked very uncomfortable with the whole thing. Uh, I love her. I always watched Living with uh, Lucy. So you can imagine my horror with the sex shop last night, says one of uh, our listeners on 083-311-3311. Now, in my interview with uh, Kalosh to doing this gig, uh, Principal Peter Creedon earlier on, it was suggested that Tip FM had headlined that an illegal substance had been inhaled by students. We would like to clarify that none of our news bulletins or social media posts in any way suggested that an illegal substance had, has, had been um, consumed and 
Pat was kind enough to go back over uh, the various different bulletins for us and uh, look through the social media as well and it certainly was not so we just want to clarify that. Councillor David Dunn and uh, Tony Black of Sinn Féin uh, brought a motion of no confidence on Irish Water to the full County Council uh, meeting. A counter motion was called and so their motion fell on a vote uh, 27 for the um, uh, motion and 12 against and uh, David Dunn joins me now. Good morning David. Good morning, Fran. And before I start, I just want to offer my sympathy to the people of, of Donegal and Creesha, especially this morning. It's a very sad day. They're, they're, they're digging graves up there now, and uh, there's going to be a lot of funerals today and tomorrow. So, look, the whole country is thinking of, of what they're going through at the moment, and it's, it's very sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it could happen in any of our communities, Davy. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. People yeah. going in to visit, just in to get yeah. money out of an ATM. It's just purely shocking, you know. Just dreadful. What about yeah. that motion of confidence then uh, that was voted so, down? So what happened yesterday was um, myself and, uh, and Councillor Tony Black, um, a number of times we have put forward motions in relation to Irish water. You know I've been on there so numerous times since the foundation and even before before the foundation of Irish water I've been out campaigning against uh, meters and all that. So I always state on your programme that I'm fully uh, opposed to the formation of Irish water and I want to to be handed back to the council. So I'm clear and upfront about that. So yesterday, uh, what we did was we put down a vote of no confidence because we ran out of votes. There was no other option for us. We put several motions down and they kept getting... Uh, we were asked two years ago to by the CEO, Joe McGrath, to postpone it because he had a, a very important meeting with Irish Water. We, we, did, we did that. We gave them the time to get their house in order and it didn't happen. Now, we had a litany of all summer long. You know your show, you probably got loads of calls from Clamel, from every party Tipperary, there yep. was text messages coming out about Colebrook, Feddert, Ballingarry, the Commons, all no water. And we had our own, I had my own issues in uh, Carrick and Shore as well, uh, that's well highlighted on your show. So we were frustrated. Every month, every two months, uh, water services come up in front of us in Clamel, and every couple of months they come at district level. So you, you, you get the officials, Tipperary County Council officials, uh, in front of you and you can ask them questions about Irish water but they have to go back to Irish water to get majority of the answers so there's no accountability on several occasions from across the spectrum of parties they've asked for the the, the, the head man in Irish water to, or head person in Irish water to come before us uh, in, in a public session not in uh, workshops that are not uh, in front of the media we wanted them to come before us so we could ask them direct questions they, they do oblige us with workshops but they're behind closed doors and majority of the councils if they were honest will tell you that uh they don't get the results from those workshops and it was raised again yesterday and anyone can check the minutes of of the minutes of the meeting uh, i'm not saying anything that's that's not true it's all documented there so out, out of frustration we brought this motion forward and so it's either put up or shut up so you either have confidence in him to run the water service or you don't have confidence in him so what did the um the, the establishment parties did was they brought in an amendment to the motion and it's it's technical and I try not I don't want to confuse people but what basically what happens is if the amendment is not a direct negative so it's not it's direct opposite to what we were saying uh, the amendment is taken first so the amendment wasn't a direct opposite and the amendment was taken first so if the amendment passed our motion wasn't heard if the amendment failed, then our motion would have been voted on. So technically, they didn't vote confidence in Irish water yesterday. They voted on the amendment, which was lost 
12. And I hope that clears up. And how, how did the amendment differ from your motion? It, it, was, a, it was a completely different... Um, uh, like, we, the, motion was, the amended motion was read out to us yesterday at the meeting, and we got, uh, we got no copy of it. Uh, it was read out a second time before the vote was, was taking place. I think there was, wait, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, about seven people spoke in favour of our motion uh, and there was only two voting, uh, spoke in favour, the proposer and seconder in, in the, uh, for their motion. They're the CEO and he interjected and he, 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 he did raise an issue and he asked us to think carefully about how we were going to vote and he asked us to think about the relationship we would go forward with our uh, that we'd have going forward with Irish Water. And what did he mean but, by that? That it would damage it, the relationship yes, it with would Irish damage Water? the relationship with Irish Water. Now, yeah, but like, at the end of the day, I'm a public representative. I, I, I might as well be home shouting at the mirror is in that if I, go in, if I don't go into the council and do my job. So I have to go in there and look for accountability. But I'm not... Ha- I, I can hold Joe McGrath to account, as I said to him yesterday. Joe has to listen to me, whether he likes it or not. And in you know, fairness, there was no shout. We didn't go in there looking for headlines or anything like that. We went in there trying to be constructive. And, tr- and this is the only way we felt. I asked the other councillors. I listened carefully to the motion they put forward. I asked the other councillors, is there another option? Can someone come up with another option to what we're doing? And no one could. Now, I was very happy with the support we got from 12 councillors. Uh, I would have liked, obviously, for their amendment to fail and for our motion proper to be put to the table, but it wasn't. Look, mm. we're not going away. We're going to come back at this again. But, but Davey, even, even, even if your motion was carried, I mean, what effect would that have? I mean, Irish Water is going to continue on, and in fact, they're going to morph into Ishka Aaron from next year, probably, so. Yeah, at a great expense. Like this is the point. Like we're, we're hopefully, we're, if, if if the people see fit to put Sinn Fein into government, it's part we've signed up to the right to water, and we're looking for a referendum to be, and we will bring that referendum that the government are refusing to bring that referendum on the right to water. To that it won't be privatised at any point. Yeah, that won't it? be privatised. Yeah, look, we anyone that looks follows politics or follows anything. Our near neighbours privatised the but water. But are Sinn Féin saying that they will dismantle Irish water yeah, or is Ishka Ern? Yeah, we will put it back under public ownership. Yeah, and, and that was means... But, but the, the, the entity, it's a, yeah, that's what I was yeah, looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, it'll go back yeah. to the local authorities. Yeah, it'll go it? back to the local authorities. At the moment, you have two people doing the same job. You have someone right. from the council doing the job and you have someone from Irish Water and both be, both right. are being paid to do the one job. Just, it's lunacy. I mean, look, you can keep the call centre. I have never had an issue with the call centre. I've said that numerous of times on your show. The people are the finest that work in the call centre. It's just that there's no there's a disconnect between the call centre, the people working there, and the people on the ground. I mean, what, Irish Water don't really have boots on the ground. No. Irish Water uh, outsourced to private companies to do their work on their behalf. Right, but they will have after January, if all goes well, will it not? Because they're looking for a transfer of manpower and woman power from the local authority to this new entity. Yeah, that's correct, and it's voluntarily. They changed it from compulsory. So they were going to sign over all the people that work in the water services over to uh, Irish Water. And now the, the, the Minister for Local Government, Dara Green, he decided that, no, it was not compulsory, it was voluntarily. So if anyone doesn't move, uh, they, they stay working with the council and they, Irish Water will have to hire new people. But it, to me, that that's more madness because the people on the ground are the people that know the, the infrastructure, mm. they know the backyard mm. services. 
Like, I mean, Fran, I could give you numerous examples. I ring the local ads and I have a great relationship with them and they're brilliant. I rang, uh, there was a storage issue in a housing estate in Carrick. I rang, I was on the scene. The, the foreman came to me. The two of us went up through the backs of the houses, checking the storage, uh, checking the manholes. And we got to the end where the manhole was, uh, the big manhole, and it was in the back of someone's house. We went down, we lifted the manhole, it was clear. And so he knew there was a blockage on the line and he, he got his team out and he cleared it. The local, if, the, if, he, if he doesn't transfer to Irish water, who's going to know where those manholes are and where the situation is? That's it was true experience that, I yeah. won't mention his name, that he got to, to know where these are. And this is where it's, it's all... And, and that will be lost to Irish water, you're Absolutely saying. But, but is it not down, really, at the end of the day, Davy? I mean, the infrastructure is in shite, for want of a better word. Do you know? I mean, that needs to be addressed, does it not? It can be addressed, but they wasted millions putting... They wasted millions setting up Irish water in the first place because they had to put in CEOs, they had to put in all the head, head bottle washers, to use that expression, and they had to pay him fairly handsomely. Mm. Well, they and thought they were going to have... Uh, they thought they were going to have the, the, the punchers yeah, pay, pay for that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so really, the only way that Irish, Irish water market will work is with water charges. And I don't think there's an appetite. And it'd be a very, very brave government to bring in water charges in the run-up to a general election. And I, do, I can't see uh, this current government doing that. Uh, they might bring in uh, an excess usage charge, all right, but uh, even at that, unless the infrastructure is, is, is fixed and proper. We're spending a fortune on now changing the name of Irish Water to Ishka Aaron. We're, we spent a far, we gave 10% bonuses out to a company that's not fit for purpose, in my opinion. And I can only give you my opinion, and I can only speak on behalf of the people that I represent. And, and the councillors who didn't support your motion, I presume, like all councillors, they must be inundated with people complaining about, you know, water shortages and the condition of the water and all of that. Well, they're well and well able to speak for themselves, but I found it fairly ironic that just after our motion, there was questions went into the, the officials on, on Irish water. Now, as some as one councillor uh, said, if we only had a motion of no confidence, this might be rectified. So he's been ironic to him, uh, and I found it ironic yesterday. And it'll be there'll be the same people asking the same questions next month and the month after. As I said, I'm always going to be standing at home shouting in the mirror because I'm get we're getting no answers. It's down to do with accountability. Fran, you're accountable to, to the bosses in Tip FM. And if you don't do your job right, uh, they'll be calling you into the office. And if you don't do your job right the second time, they might be saying, here's your papers, Frank, go take a walk. Well, what we're saying yesterday was, like a football manager or a hurling manager or whatever, if the, if the team or the supporters lose confidence in them and are the board of, of that club or whoever runs the club, they, they, there's a vote of no confidence, the manager goes, and then there's an improvement. Yeah, hope. You know what I mean? But, and that's the way it would be working business. If the, the top man would be held accountable, and there's a lack of accountability in Ireland, and we all know that over decades, there's lack of accountability. The HSE is just a prime example. Irish Water will be the HSE, Mark II, guarantee you. All right. Uh, can I just uh, briefly ask you something before I let you go, which I had a conversation with uh, former County Councillor Tom Wood earlier on, and he finally got a, a declaration from uh, the Minister for State involved, Peter Burke, to say that, you know, there, there's no appetite, basically, from anybody out there where town councils are concerned, even though a lot of our listeners might disagree with that. What, what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think uh, Tom Wood has been, uh, and fair play to him, he's been on this 
when he was a councillor and even afterwards he kept he kept up the fight to get answers in relation to this. No, town councils were very uh, efficient in in certain ways. Like the, I, I'm always try to be as honest as I can. A lot of things work better uh, as a, like for for tourism and everything like that. You work better when you sell your county as a whole, and you work better when you're trying to to drive enterprise as a whole. But on the day to day issues, I think town councils have a purpose. And what I would do if and I would be proposing this to my party is that they come back, but with in in certain sized towns, and they only come back on uh, expenses only, so that people that care about their town will give their time to it, so that they don't bear out of pocket, but they're not going to be any financial burden on the state, and they come back on, uh, that's the way I would introduce them, reintroduce them, right. and then from there, if they want to go further about them then, but look, and have you any idea, Davy? Would that be the sense of the party, or is that just Davy Dunn saying that? Well, I think we're we're for the ground up, and that's the way we're, our party works. So I presume that's uh, that's the, the my my impression of what the party wants to achieve is more is more regional authority. Right, so a, lim- a limited version of the town yeah, council. Well, look, it, because it was it was brought in as a cost saving exercise, but no one can find out what 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 was actually the cost saving for it. You know well, what I mean? Well, it was tiny. It was tiny. Yeah, exactly. Was, so therefore, yeah. why did we get rid of them? You know what I mean? So that if there's not a cost saving in it, you know, it has to be a cost benefit analysis done on anything. At the end of the day, it's not my money. It's not your. It's it's not. Uh, I don't get to spend people's money. It's the people's money that the officials have control of, and they spend, and the government spend. It's our money, totally. So it, including the people that buy anything in the shop. So everyone contributes to the pot. And that part is divvied out, and there should be a cost-benefit analysis done on anything that there's expenditure involved in, and we need to get value for money. All right, uh, Councillor David Dunn, thank you and good morning to you. Um, 1800 938 News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today. With Fran Curry, With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. listener says, eight years ago we lost eight cattle because a car was driven into a field. The cattle suffered lead poisoning and it was never followed up by the Gardaí. Now, speaking of the Gardaí, uh, Superintendent Willie Lee, along with the uh, crime officer for the County Tom O'Dwyer, will be with us on Thursday morning at about half past ten. And they've agreed to come into to Studio 2 was following that meeting in uh, Monroe uh, last week. Because a lot of interest in what the Gardaí are doing and what the Gardaí can do and all of that. And we'll hear it from the horse's mouth uh, on this coming uh, Thursday. Now, uh, we spoke to Peter Creighton, who is Principal of Kalosh to do this gig in the first hour of the programme about the video circulating on social media of students who had been essentially poisoned after using a vape which had been filled with a dangerous substance. Now, he spoke about the problem of vaping in schools and here's a little 
of what Peter had to say this morning. 22% of students between the age of 12 and 17 years of age have tried to vape and somewhere between 12 and 15% are have vaped in the past 30 days. So if you take your own town, Carmel, over 2,000 students are going to Carmel. That's a significant number. But I suppose on the positive, you know, there's an overwhelming majority of students are making the right decisions when it comes to this particular area. But um, I do know from they want to license the market. The cigarette market is not licensed. I think e-cigarettes are seen as consumer products and not tobacco products. And one of the key effects that people can have is poisoning. So in our two incidents, there's a, a new type of, um, well, I'm not an e-cigarette person, but the inhaler used was um, an adjustable one, and where the, the, it's based on what it's, and in this case, the students, I'd say, unknowns to themselves, uh, inhaled at too high um, a level, and they ended up getting antifreeze poisoning from a product that was in illegally sold vape over the counter. So the substance was not an illegal substance. It, it, it is legal to be sold in the market at this time, only just some people can have, a, adults or students can have a reaction to it. And that's uh, Principal uh, Peter Creedon of Kolostia doing this gig, speaking to me uh, this morning just after 9 o'clock. And just to remind you that we're on air every single weekday morning from 9 with a uh, tip today. Now, uh, former County Councillor Mary Green is organising a fundraiser uh, this Thursday at Hotel Manella on behalf of Support Serena after spinal injury. Serena Canaan uh, received uh, catastrophic injuries in a car crash near her home outside of Banshee last November and I'm delighted to say that Mary joins me now in studio. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and thank you for having me on this you, morning. You're very welcome indeed and good to see you as well. Will you just remind us of that dreadful accident? Uh, last November, Serena was travelling back. She had been at her college ball the night before, the first, you know, since covid and um, unfortunately, the car was involved in a crash and outside, near, very near her home. And um, it's just ironic at the time, like even her mum was saying there wasn't a scratch on her, but a very high spinal injury. So Serena was brought to first to Limerick uh, Hospital and then she was brought to the Mater where she had... Um, major surgery and she was in the ICU for several weeks and then finally she was transferred to the rehab in Dunleary. Um, she was got home about three weeks ago and um, is adjusting to life. Um, being back at home, which of course she's thrilled to be back home, back to a busy ho- home and busy household. But, um, you know, her injuries are, you know, are life changing and it's just getting getting kind of coming to terms with that. Um, She is, um, it's, it's, I suppose it's overwhelming and at the moment just trying to get the physical side of things and, you know, there's a care team in place and they did some short term work on, on their home to make it possible for Serena to come home, but uh, a much bigger job will will need to be done because there's in fact like apart from you know like the hospital bed and all that there's you know special equipment for her physio and um, all that has to be in place and then you want to have kind of a a reasonable sort of um, lifestyle you know that her friends can visit and that she can you know have some independence Uh, like when I visited the other day like uh, it's a busy farming family and it was just non-stop and you know people in and out and um 
Now, at least Serena now is in the thick of it. You know, yes, she's there yeah. and she's that back with her, her beloved, her beloved dog, who's now able to go back sleeping on her bed and um, you know things like that. But you know, there's an awful lot more to be done. An awful and lot to be done. Yeah. Plus, her her education has been has been cut short at the moment. Yes, she so was in Mary Eye, I think. She was, was Mary Eye. You know, the campus in Thurles, yeah. and uh, that's all she ever wanted to be was a secondary teacher, and um, so that's put on hold at the moment. Mm. So we just. Yes. Uh, I suppose I'm a first cousin of Serena's mom, uh, y- Yvonne. Uh, I have a daughter myself who's 18 months younger than, than Serena. So I totally empathise and I think everybody does with such an awful thing to happen and what can I do to help and support and um, you know, different family members have done different fundraising mm. things and it's more to show them, the family that we're there it's in unity. It's solidarity. It's solidarity. It? Yes. We're yeah. not, they're, they're not forgotten about and this is what we're, we're trying to do. So, so I... So tell me about what's happening on Thursday because it's very special, isn't it? It's very, very special. Yeah. Um I um, I have been a friend of Eunice Power um, for many years. Uh, Eunice... Uh, is a caterer and she's a contributor to the Irish Times but more recently she's become quite well famous as uh, on um, Dahi's in the afternoon show yes. she contributes there and she's actually co-hosted with Dahi but some years ago we were doing a fundraiser for her playground in Rathgormick and I asked Eunice to come uh, to come on board and we did a night in the Carrick Hotel in Carrick and sure she was fantastic and people are still talking about Eunice's recipe and swearing by it but she was just great crack mm, on the night yeah. So I was there trying, what can I do and what can I, you know, and I wanted also a night. I didn't want just to be asking people for money. I wanted to give something back. I wanted a special night. Mm. So this is a special night. So Eunice is going to be we're going to Hotel Manila. And of course, you know, Liz and John couldn't be more helpful and generous and kind. As always. As yeah. always. Mm. And uh, literally, not quite holding my hand, but giving me the little push behind <laughs> and, and the right direction. Yes. So we're having that. And then there's a, it's a, a big setup because you know it's a big it's a big room mm. and I wanted people that they could have a good view. So Frontline <laughs> in Waterford are coming on board and they are supplying you know the spe- the cameras and so on. So no matter where you're sitting in the hall, you'll you'll have a good view on the big screen of what's going on. And so what ties in that is Eunice as a friend uh, a friend um, Carrie Bedell who's a florist in Dungarvan and she has worked with her in the past. So Carrie is going to kick off the night with doing autumn themed. Um, flower arrangements and I think the wonderful things you can do with a, a pumpkin and then uh, Eunice is going to then after the, the interval she's going to do um, I think four recipes uh, she sent them on they look great uh, she maintains they're very straightforward I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to her showing me those on the night so of course everybody will have a copy of the recipe of the recipes and we also have a great raffle and um, so I think it's a nice, but I, I think I know a lot of my friends and other women in the, in the community. And I suppose it is mainly mm. women are, mm. are, are kind of into that. Mm. But, um, but men just, are welcome as well. Men, of course, are very welcome. And a lot of men have bought tickets and whether they show sure. up or not. But yeah. we just want a night out. It's so long for people to meet, you know, that have had an, a, a forum to meet and Sometimes, you know, I found fashion shows in the past, you kind of feel you really have to get dressed up because you're looking at these gorgeous outfits. Yes. But this is a nice night out. And uh, look, I'd say come early, maybe have your tea and then have a drink and then sit back and enjoy. And yeah, that um, sounds lovely. And what, what about picking up tickets for? Uh, the that? tickets are now I've got, a, I, I want to just give a plug to cer- certain people have who have given me huge mm. support. Now, it was um, Liz Nallen put me in touch with ticketstop.ie. Mm-hmm. People might be 
familiar with Eventbrite, but yes. ticketstop.ie are the Irish equivalent. So you need a safe uh, platform which to buy tickets online. Ticketstop. Ticketstop. Ticket stop, yeah. Okay. Ticketstop.ie. If you Google them, you can you'll go straight in there. And the great thing about them is they're waiving all fees because okay. usually only any of these they they keep back. You know, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Like mm. two euro on on mm. on twenty euros would be a lot. They're waiving all fees, so you can do it that way. Or of course, you can tickets get tickets at the hotel. Well, you will not be turned away. You will not be turned away. <laughs> needless to say. And the other thing is, uh, they've been fantastic. Um, a lot of people in, around this area might be familiar going to the Greenway in Waterford, uh, the coach house in Kilmac Thomas. Stephen is a neighbour of mine and Stephen has been, has given me huge sponsorship. He did all the initial um, printing of posters and so on and then Sureprint, um, PJ there helped me out. PJ used to do my posters all did those years indeed? ago when I was a <laughs> So he came, he, he, he came on board only yesterday to do a bit more right. printing. So they've been fantastic and also then um, in terms of the raffle prizes, uh, there's a lovely set of Nicholas Moss that a close relation has has kindly bought to donate. I have an amazing Hermes scarf that has also been donated. Tags, everything it is just, you know, we were thinking would we have an auction? We said no, we'll just put it into the raffle. Gorgeous. And then the other day I got um, Michael Ryan who has the old bank in uh, Dungarvan has come up trumps and dinner for four in the old bank oh, very nice, nice restaurant yeah. in Dungarvan only over the road so that's and plus and what's been very nice are you know locals have got together and put hampers together you know one friend of mine has put a beautiful hamper together with donations of whiskey and gin and vodka from different people and crisps and chocolates you know that sort of thing will, will be really really nice so and even uh, the local hairdresser cool cuts in, in Kilsheelan are put thrown in a voucher and I didn't ask any of these people Helen in Carries has just texted me to say she's bringing something on the night there will be a lot of drink up <laughs> in, the, in the raffle so come prepared with a bit of change to throw in but I think I just want to emphasise it's a really really good cause mm. we're there to support Serena and even Serena's mum Yvonne is coming because as she said she's oh, looking great. forward to a yeah. night out absolutely and yeah. we're looking forward to a night out and it's doing it for a great cause and who knows we could come come away now and we'll be you know wonders in the kitchen or can whisk up I'll a lovely floral you. arrangement for Halloween absolutely so it's tickets stop sorry ticket stop dot ie dot upon ie online on or you can get them at the manila at, at the door and on. 20 euro yeah. 20 okay. euros so right. it's, it's not bad yeah. and I, we haven't been asking people for, for donations or anything yes. like that but you know a lot of people have, have bought tickets online or have given us you know something to throw into the raffle okay. so well, thank I, you so much I hope it's a tremendous success indeed do you miss the, the life as a councillor at all Mary? Uh there's bits I miss, you know. Yeah. Uh, I love part of this now is getting you know, great feedback from people, and but there was an awful lot of negativity. <laughs> an awful lot. And I suppose yeah. I was there. I, you know, I had, a, you know, when you have a young child, and I was full time teacher, and. It, when I started off in the council in 99, you know, it was considered to be a part time, and you just got bare expenses, and then it became a, a, a job, so mm. to speak, mm. and. 
you know, more was expected, more time was expected. Yes. And uh, in a rural area, I mean, I loved being uh, a representative for my community, but I just couldn't do it all. You mm. know, it had to come to a stop. So I stood down in 2014. I miss a lot of it and yes. I miss, I miss, you know, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm busy in other ways busy, now. Yeah. I'm still very involved in my but, community. But you, get, you keep up to speed on what's happening, I presume, politically. Oh, and oh all yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I, yeah, no, that, that, that hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, no, because I, I just retired from, I was teaching for many, many years in school wearing Carrick and Shure. And uh, people said, oh, you'll go back into politics. No, I am not. Uh, Shawnee Power, who replaced me, your seat is safe. <laughs> it's, it's safe <laughs> but I, I am, like, I'm involved in our local, we have a fabulous community centre and hiking centre in Rathgormick, and I'm... Uh, very, very involved in that. So mm, it's a beautiful uh, area around there as yeah, well, isn't and, it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, of course, teaching is becoming a hell of a job as well in the last uh, couple of decades. Well, it's just it's, uh, just different demands yeah. and different. Uh, you know, I mean, it was always a demanding job, yeah. but I suppose there's so many other aspects, and I suppose maybe the online and the IT part didn't phase me because I actually was teaching IT, and I was kind of, oh, were you? you know, oh, I did. Okay. I, I, it was one of my subjects, so it it did help, but. Uh, Though I, I, one of the things I, I, I suppose I took out of, of the COVID lockdown and teaching online was the camaraderie among staff. Like when you, at night, we'd be, different people would do a Zoom call and show you how to do this or how to do that. Or, you know, we, we really worked. Uh, and I think teaching has become much more of a team effort rather than an individual in your, in your, in your um, classroom, in your mm. subject area. You know, subject teams work together. You have whole school planning. So those parts are good. But I suppose like even the nurses were saying, the amount of paperwork you have to do oh, yeah. to write up about what you're planning to do, whereas before you would just go in and do it. And do it, yeah. And, and in a way, I suppose, maybe there's more accountability. I don't know. Um, I still, I still mark. For, I still do leave and search papers. I, I um, I'm an examiner, so I suppose I, I'm still keep my finger on the pulse mm. of what's happening. And uh, I suppose once you're there, like like politics, you'll, you'll never lose the interest. But I, suppose, yeah. I think it was time now to, to you know to, to move on to pastures new. Well, much and better, better pastures. I hope as well along the way. Mary, thanks for coming into us. Fran, thank uh, you so today. much for this and time. You're and very, very welcome indeed. Thursday night, the Manella Hotel, beautiful Manella Hotel in Clonmel, and that's uh, supporting uh, Serena. And it's ticketstop.ie to get your tickets, but you can get your tickets on the door on the night as well. It's uh, 20 past 11. I'll be right back. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slatterysgarage.ie Now, earlier on, we spoke to Alan Monaghan. Alan is a subtle traveller in uh, Cashel and he came on to talk to us about uh, the rhetoric, I suppose, around the intimidation and threat in rural areas uh, because it was pointing at the travelling uh, community. William joins me now. William, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you. You're making the point about uh, that it's illegal to hunt hares without a licence. Is that the way it is, William? Yes, that is 100% correct. You have to have a licence for the hunting of hares because they're a preserved animal. Right, okay. And what about rabbits? There's no law on rabbits. No law, okay. Because a lot of the lamping, I think, is, is that not about rabbits? No, it's hares. Oh, it's hares, is it? Um, I think, I, Alan, 
you know, was very honest in, he, in, in his opinions, but in our area, um, it's hares. And the scary part is, to say, the, the, the teeth on these uh, lurchers or whippets, or you want to call them, do be filed down in their mouth. With a view to what? Uh, to catch in the hair, sometimes they keep them alive, sometimes they kill them. Uh, they have put up photographs on their, their media outlets showing maybe one or two hairs hanging up at the back of their legs dead and taking pride out of it. And is it just about the hunting? or I mean, in the case of rabbits, I presume, is it for eating as well? or was it? I, I don't know. It seems to be a pride in killing these hairs. Um, you know, Alan said that he got permission from local farmers and I, I'm not doubting the man for one minute, but down in, in our area, there is no permission. They just waltz in on our land. Um, they go in and hunt. If you confront them, they'll tell you to F off in nice, polite language. And, you know, it is in intimidation from their side, no doubt about it. And is this on your land, William? Yes, has been on all our neighbours around here. We've all got a taste of it over the last four or five years. And can I ask you whereabouts you are? Temple Tui. Temple Tui. So and we have a we have a local coursing club. We have a license to go catching our hares at the fall of every year. And these people just waltz in their land. And it isn't that they're just coming from outside Temple Tui. They even come from Kilkenny, Tip Town, Cashel. You know, so they're 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 coming well out of their areas to to, to hunt our lands. If they're hunting at night, which they are doing with lamps, um, if there's people living on their own, they see lamps out in fields. Are they out hunting, or are they are they they you know? chasing up places that they can be robbed. You know, there's the fear of both sides. There's the fear of the hunting of the animal, but there's also the fear of hunting people in their houses. And have there been robberies in, in your area? Yeah, not for the last couple of years, but there had been for a couple of years previous. Right. Is there a great fear in, in, in the rural community there? There is. And, you know, Alan spoke about people with pick handles and every sort of a thing. And, you know, if if a group of people come in hunting your land, you know, what are you expected to do? Say, thanks, for, would you like to leave? And they'll just laugh at you. This is the, the and I feel sorry for the Garda Shia Khan because they come out, they'll check them for tax and insurance, they can't pull them for anything else, and they just send them on the merry way, but they're laughing at them. And have you confronted people yourself? Yes. Right, and they, they tell you to, to F off or something like that? Yeah, in that mm-hmm. polite language and don't be too shy in saying it and was even told one time, keep that going and we'll burn you out of it. And this is the intimidation that's being faced um, by the, 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 the farm and the rural community. So they're threatened to burn down your, your home? Yeah, if you're scared enough to walk away from them. And I know this, you know, this partners and wives are, you know, they'd be, they'd be afraid of what people and ourselves might might go as far as do to get rid of them. But should we be put in that situation? No. Well, just explain that to me now. As far you know, as our, our partners are afraid that we will confront them and we'll get the same treatment that that poor man got in Dublin there, um, what was it, last November, December, 12 months. Got, or it might even be that far back. He got absolutely pulped in his own land. He got... Up. Yeah, and I spoke to a woman yesterday on the program. I don't know if you heard it, William, but she was very concerned that her husband was going out to check the lands at night, and she was fearful that he would confront somebody, or that somebody would confront him, or that it could escalate yeah. into something. You know? Yeah, that is the fear with the, with the, the female the, the, the female partner, the, all the partners that, that that their husbands or partners might do something, maybe that you know that there'll be consequences down the line, and. And she quite rightly pointed out yesterday that if anything happened, 
um, who'd be responsible. Then there'd be an assault charge placed on, well, on a thing, husband or a partner. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? So, you know, what has to change? To me, there is only one change, and that's that, Ill, that illegal hunting is, is a criminal offence. It's the only thing that can, that, that yeah, can stop you. But you're telling me that that is already the case, though. It, it, it's not for uh, the illegal hunting of hares. They can, if they have to catch them with the hare in their possession, if they don't catch them in their possession, but it should be, if you don't have a licence, right. you cannot hunt. It, it, the, the law should be updated. And William, what about the law of trespass? I mean, if somebody's trespassing on your land, is that is that not a criminal activity? Uh, sure, look, they'll, they'll go to a court and, and they're, they're able to wiggle their way out of it. It's, it's, it's probably not worth the paper it's written on. Right. But it is illegal to trespass on somebody's land, is it not? I thought so, but, you know, I, I've never seen anyone convicted of it. Right. So these are all the things that need to be cleared up. Yeah, these are, near, you know, these are the things that the people in, in, in rural Ireland, the agricultural community in particular, this is what they have to deal with. Um, it's, you know, there, there, there has to be law made up. And it, it doesn't have to take years to do this. This can be done in a few weeks. They, you know, someone that has, they all have legal advisors, come up, draw up the law, put it in front of the, the, the doll and the, the Oireachtas, the two, the Senate and, and the and the main, the, the front of the TDs, and, and legislate it and put it in ASAP because people are being hunted off their own properties by these people. Is it getting worse? It is. So it's escalating in some way? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think maybe, I don't think maybe, well, Alan... You know, realizes that it's gone as far as this. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. To be, a, he seemed to be. A, I think it's years, a very years ago man. that he was involved in it. So it's a, yeah. He said he hasn't done that for years, and if that's what he says, I, I I take the man for his word. But there's other people in that community are not um, are, are are not holding back. They're they're going out at two and three o'clock in the morning, and if they're confronted, they just laugh at him. It's, you know the farming uh, farming organisation is a very powerful lobby. Why can't they do more where this is concerned, William? Uh, look, I, I think you can lobby as much as you like, but I think it's up to our legislators to go on and just go ahead of this and do it. I do agree that the agricultural, the IFA, the ICMSA should be putting something ahead of this. Um, maybe they have done something, but I, I, I just fear maybe some of the stuff the IFA, I think we're, we're letting our minister off with a lot of stuff in agriculture. So um, I don't think they're they're pushing hard enough to get things done. So, um, you know, so I, I think not, it has to come for... Where, where that is no, I, I wouldn't be with the, with the uh, cultural yeah. um, organisation. Normally I try to be as optimistic as I can, but, I mean, we've had three... Uh, well, since since the meeting, the public meeting started some years ago, we've had three different uh, um, uh, justice ministers and uh, nothing seems to be happening, you know? Nothing. Yeah, and, and I suppose as a justice minister too, I suppose, you know, how much protection have they in their lives either because these people do intimidate and they'll think nothing about going up to whether it is Helen McAgee, Charlie Flanagan or whoever the minister is and burn out their house. They they don't care. They just literally do not care about about, about people. They just literally run all over them. They're a, they act as if the law doesn't doesn't affect them because I've seen these people up close. I've seen them when guards have been speaking to them and literally, I'll, I'll be honest, I... I the, the guards have a tough job. What, what's they their go, attitude to the guardy? Don't touch me. I'm untouchable. That's been the case with some of them. And, and when they're walking away, or they're back in their cars driving away, they turn around the back window and two fingers up. And this has been 
you know, to me, it's it's not alone two fingers to us, but it's two fingers to the Garda Siakana and it's two fingers to the law. But William, are you saying that they do that even though they've been found trespassing on somebody's land and they've been obviously doing something that's yes. illegal? And they that's still true. behave in that fashion? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you've, you've rumbled me once, but I'll see you tomorrow. Right. I'm not going so, to change the my law, ways or... Yeah. Unless the law changes that, it's illegal to trespass because for the, the course, and as we remember back a couple of years ago, the, the coursing licence was, was removed and it took a long time for it to get mm, it back. Yeah. Um, but these people can go out and, and, and hunt after and hit uh, rabbits because rabbits are too cute. They, they, they don't stay too far away from their burrow, so they're, they're going to be picked up. They won't be picked up too handy. Right. So, so if you're, and, and forgive me because I just don't know anything very much about this, but if you're lamping for hares, it's just for sport then. It's not for... Yeah, it looks like their sport that it's 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 the license to kill and, and how many hairs can we pick up as if they have a, a bet among themselves or have have some sort of competition among themselves. Right. Okay. Uh, William we'll be following this up and I hope you'll join us again on, on various discussions we'll be having on it. Thank you for your time this morning, William. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double O seven. Now earlier on this morning we spoke to uh, Sinn Fein councillor Davy Dunn on a motion that was put forward by both himself and councillor uh, Tony Black um, uh, a vote of no con- looking for a vote of no confidence in Irish water I'm glad to be joined now by councillor Marie uh, Murphy good morning to you Marie good morning Fran how are you I'm very well indeed and thank you so much for coming on with us today you I'm, I'm sort of confused about how this works because an amendment um, ended up going in ahead of the vote of no confidence then and the implication is that you would not vote no confidence in Irish water. Is that correct? Um, well, the motion that was put down by councillors Tony Black and councillor David Dunn was that Tipperary County Council would support a vote of no confidence in Irish water and write to the relevant minister calling for um, the structured winding down of that organisation. I went on to state that we've no confidence in Irish water to provide a confidence and quality water service to the people of Tipperary and believe the only way to achieve the proper service is to hand control of water services back Mm. to the local authorities. And a lot of people would go along with that, Marie. Yes, and as part of what I said yesterday, Fran, like, I fully understand the concerns of Councillor Dunn and Black around Irish water, that there isn't a councillor in Tipperary who hasn't been extremely frustrated by the service provided over the last nine and a half years by Irish Water. And I, I've been, they've held numerous workshops and clinics over the years, and I've been at the vast majority of them. I think I've been at all except one when I couldn't make it as Cahirlock earlier this year. Um, there, There's another workshop next week. Um, that we're going to meet with Irish Water, albeit on Zoom, but it, it, to raise particular concerns that all of us have. Now, those workshops, clinics over the years haven't been uh, as well attended as they may have been. Um, but, but, like, I find it's the way to raise issues and the whole lot. It, the one thing I took, I, the motion proposing that the only way to achieve a proper water service is to hand control of water services back to the local authority. I I couldn't agree with that because as local authorities were responsible for water services up to December 31st, 2013, um, and we were in much the same boat back then. 
as far as I was concerned, the primary issue with water infrastructure is the major lack of investment down through the years by successive of course, and, and most most people would agree with that as well, Marie. But yeah. is it is it not a case that I mean the authority is still supplying the manpower or woman power or whatever to look after the water the, the, under instruction from Irish Water? I mean, isn't that well, basically at it? Pre- at present, there's a service level agreement in place between Irish Water and uh, the council, Tipperary County Council, and how it works is that. Um, Local authority staff who spend more than 50% of their time working in water services are considered to be working in the water services area. Um, and like it, it, that is how it works. That We have people that worked for the council up to 2014. They're now working with Irish Water under a service level agreement. But um, like what... What councillors Dunn and Black were proposing yesterday, to my mind, was not the answer to the issues that are there. Um, my motion proposed, the, the, what I proposed was amendment, and it was that the elected members of Tipperary County Council recognised the challenges presented to Irish Water in providing quality water services, both drinking and wastewater, to, to its customers in County Tipperary. And in addressing the challenges, we call on Irish Water to accelerate the delivery of capital investment in County Tipperary to ensure security of water supply, to safeguard environmental protection, and in light of the recent adoption of our County Development Plan 2022 to 2028, provide for the Development Plan objectives over the next six years. But but isn't it all very nice and sweet when really we know that this has been an abject failure, Marie? I, but it's been an abject failure down through the years because of the lack in, of investment. Now, when I became a councillor first back in uh, 2009, within a couple of months of becoming a councillor, Fran, uh, a number of my constituents in Skihinarinke were put on a boil water notice. Mm. 46 premises were on a boil water notice for the next seven and a half years. I was pushing for an upgrade to the Glengarry Water Supply Scheme, which covers all of the Inrinca, Barncourt, it even goes into Care, Ali Perrine, Aridwin, down as far as Tahim. I was pushing for that, and we thought we had it over the line where the Director of Services at the time, Jimmy Harney, uh, promised me that he would come in on Christmas Day in 2013 to sign the contract if needs be. Um, it didn't get over the line until Irish uh, uh, in South Tipperary County Council's time, but it was one of the ones that Irish Water um, carried on. And in twenty, I think uh, I'm not sure was it fifteen or sixteen, mm. that a new treatment plant and one in Clunine because they were bundled together um, were were made operational. And we've had very very good water. That was an investment of about 15 million at right. that time. What so, are, are you saying to me, Marie, that Irish Water, as far as you're concerned, has been a partial success then? For me and the constituents in my area, because of the Tangara Water Supply, right. yes, certainly it has. Right, as but, but that, you're well aware of all the other areas, particularly over the last few months. Well, can I just say, I, I know there's been issues in with on the Galtie scheme, boil water. Huge issues, yeah. A thousand old, 
Carrick and Shore, yeah. there's first water mains. I think no matter who is in charge of water services, there's going to be those issues because the infrastructure isn't right. Under the new um, framework that was announced by um, the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Dara O'Brien, on June, in fact, in June, um, and it's a framework for the future of water services. Now, this framework was developed through an engagement process which was facilitated by the um, WRC, the Workplace Relations Commission, and it involves the department, Irish Water, County and City Management Association, the local government management agency and union reps. And in that, there is a commitment within the framework that Irish Water will be investing approximately $8.8 billion of public monies over the next number of years in upgrading and building new water infrastructure. I welcome that very much because it's the first time we've seen such a large commitment. Over the years, there was numerous, back when the councils had control of water services, every few years there'd be a, a water service investment programme announced. And, and numerous times over the years, it was just a repeat of previous water service investment programs because the work hadn't been done from the previous one. So, look, um, I think Joe McGrath, the chief executive, asked a question at the end of the meeting yesterday. And before I even say that, I think the council, there's high-level meetings going on between Irish Water and the executive of Tipperary County Council on a regular basis now, and that's good because the problems and the issues are yes. being high. The, the, the only so thing that worried what what worried me, and I'd love your I'd love your opinion on this, is that the impression I got from David Dunn was that if there was a vote of no confidence in Irish Water, um, it would affect how Irish Water deals with County Tipperary. Well, that's that's the point I was just going to come on to. Um, Joe McGrath asked the question, what kind of a relationship would there be with Irish Water if the motion did pass? And as far as I'm concerned, there would be, there probably would be no relationship. And you can't, like, you could understand why that would be the case. Like, they're saying they've no confidence on us. So, why? Now, I'm not saying that would happen, but it's possible it would have done. Um, To say that the issues, some of the issues are ongoing for years. So to say that some yeah, of the issues, but I, I find that a very, I find that a very, da- I find that a very dangerous thing to say, Marie. Is that if there is any negativity from a county council about the entity that is Irish Water, that in some way that the county would pay a price for voicing those concerns. I don't know that that would be the case, friend. But look. What we need to do is drive on and get investment into um, the capital investment in the county to ensure that we have a proper water supply and a proper wastewater supply. Um, as was highlighted by a councillor yesterday, we, for a lot of years, the town of Care has been, uh, its water treatment, its wastewater treatment plant has been at capacity. Irish Water are putting investment into that and there yes. will, it will be, it's 
stymieing the expansion of the town because there is no way. Right, and have have you confidence in the notion of the separation of Irish water from Ervia, this new entity? What is it? What's it going to be called? Ishka Erin or something <laughs> like that? And and the transfer of staff from the authorities and all of that. Have you confidence in that for next year? Well, you see, it's not just for next year. That's over a three-year process where staff will be given the option of transferring. Right. But it will begin in January. That's my understanding. It anyway, will begin it? in January. Yeah. yeah well, um, but it's, it's between uh, between January and the end of 2026. Yes. And, and have you confidence in that? I Look, you have to have confidence in it, Fran. We have to uh, ensure that the issues that are out there around a lot of water service, water pipes, uh, intakes, whatever, that they are resolved and resolved for the betterment of all of the people living in the areas that are severely affected, Camel, Carrick and Shore, and the Galtee Water Scheme, all of those are, right. that I'm familiar with. Would it, be, would it surprise you to know, Marie, and, and I'm very grateful you came on with us today, would, would it surprise you to know that most of the listeners disagreeing with you and saying that they feel that Irish water has been a disaster? No, that doesn't surprise me. As I said yesterday, that's, um, every single councillor more than likely is frustrated by the service provided by Irish water, and it probably wasn't... Uh, look, it... They, they're underfunded. We all know why they're underfunded. But the commitment in this new framework is for $8.8 billion of funding over the next number of years to try and sort out the issues that are there. And I think we need to give that a chance, which is why I called for um, Irish Water to accelerate the delivery of capital investment in County Tipperary yesterday. And you, yeah, and, and, and again, uh, I beg your pardon, I'm just looking at the screen in front of me here. I mean, people saying stuff like, is Marie Murphy off our head to be seen to be supporting Irish Water? Um, look, uh, as I said to you, there's work happening in my area. There's work happening with an issue that's been ongoing for a number of years in Clahine in the next couple of weeks that will hopefully resolve an issue. It's stuff that I'm fighting on. And I know every councillor fights their own corner, but this is—I'm hopeful to get a resolution on this one. So you have to be positive. There is no point in being negative all the time. It's probably the easy option to be negative on things, but um, I just think uh, the the new national Ishkairn is is like the government's vision on that is that it will be. Um, a national water services authority in public ownership and to deliver uh, world-class public water services utility, which is badly needed. Right, and and will the funding of that change then, Barry? How how will that work? Well, it's public money, so it will have to come from the department. And uh, it's over a number of years, £8.8 Look, I suppose the the finances of the country are, are in a good place currently, and long may that continue. Um, and we saw that with the budget that was passed there a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it, we just... I suppose Irish Water have to have... They, they don't have full control of um, the services at the minute, and they need to have the full integration of water services within their structure. And I, who knows? I could be coming back in a couple of years ago supporting a similar motion that... Um, Councillor Dunn 
and Councillor Black would have done. But I just didn't think the answer was um, the only way to achieve a proper water service is to hand back control of water services to the local authority because, Fran, it was with the local authorities for 60, 70, 80 years. Yes. And we were still in the same boat. So. We were, but I mean, it's all down to the same the same issue, Marie, is it not? That there wasn't proper uh, investment in infrastructure over the years, even though part of the car tax was supposed to be allocated to that, but it doesn't seem to have happened with successive governments. Yeah, I think that's what you're referring to there, is going back to something in 1997, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, look, um, it, it's... it's at national level, we have to. Uh, we, our public representatives in the Oireachtas need to be fighting for um, to ensure that the 8.8 billion that's submitted under this framework is followed through with, and that Tipperary gets its fair share of investment. And with the high-level meetings that are going on between um, the executive of Tipperary County Council and Irish Water, and as I said earlier, they take place on a regular basis. They are highlighting, I have no doubt, but um, Joe McGrath and Eamon Lonergan, Director of Services for, uh, are highlighting the major issues throughout Tipperary. All um, right. Be- before I let you go, Marie, would you have a word on the main theme this morning, which is that of, uh, you know, the difficulties in rural areas, the fear that's out there, the incursion onto uh, various lands and the like. Again, you're a rural councillor. Marie, what's, what's your experience of this? Yeah, it's it's shocking to um, to hear all and read about what went on recently in the Powerstown Lisrona area, and I know that meeting was exceptionally well attended. And look, we need we definitely need um, more high visibility of Gardaí, um on the ground, and it, it does appear that all of the rules are our laws are in favour of those that are coming in um, on onto land or property at the minute. I I believe that um, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee is going to be meeting with the deputation from the meeting last week that was organised by um, Senator Gareth O'Hearn and it's just shocking. Look, the amount of a lot of people aren't reporting issues to the guards because they're wondering what's the point in doing so. Um, but we definitely need more boots on the ground when it comes to guards. And I know that there was a delay this year in um, thankfully Temple Moore is back up and running but um, and there is a commitment in the budget for an additional 800 guards um, in the coming year. I know that the numbers weren't reached this year. I don't know why that was the case but look um, the more guards that are out on the streets throughout the country well, and the commitment is there to reach 15,000 um, guards in uh, over the next couple of years. It's a rolling thing because you, as you recruit new guards, you have people retiring. So it'll take that bit longer to get to the To, to bring up uh, the numbers. Marie, <laughs> the we numbers, appreciate yeah. your time today and thank you for coming on with me. Thank you. Good morning to you. Let's fill the gale, Councillor. Uh, Marie Murphy speaking to us there. I'll take a break. Back in a second. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Okay, lots of response. A government body getting massive money, friend, totally incompetent, being told by another government body that they've no confidence in them, so the big boys sulk. And Marie was going to say that they'd respond with a sulk and then pull back on that. It's a massive revelation. And um, get rid of Irish water. They're absolutely uh, crap. It says here they're beyond uses, is one of our listeners. Another listener wants to say our water supply in wheat fields was uh, off almost once a week, every week for the past month. Uh, also, the quality of our water is poor. Therefore, I'm only drinking bottled water now as a result. Up until Irish water took over, we had absolutely no issues with either supply or quality. I'm just saying, like it is, the facts speak for themselves, says one of uh, our listeners on that as well. OK, let me just bring you some more. Uh, there's no doubt about it that more investment in Irish water is the same as throwing money down the drain, Fran. They're presently county councillors on the council that are afraid to talk up and criticise what is going on. And uh, I'm very disappointed of what I'm hearing from the councillors, says Joe to us. And um, who are Irish Water anyway, says another listener. The Irish people said no to Irish Water set up by Finnegoyle uh, and Labour government. The local authority is fixing the bloody water, it says here. Well, see, that still seems to be the case. Uh, where that is concerned. Now, the Irish people said no to water charges, I suppose, and that was the big issue uh, at the time where that was uh, uh, concerned. Uh, Same community in Cashel, throwing rocks at cars on the motorway at exit 8 northbound, did damage to cars, and the Gardaí were called. uh, But the boys are untouchable. And it goes on to give me some information on that as well that I can't bring to you right now. Somebody saying, I'm beyond sick of seeing travellers roaming around our fields. They don't give a SH1T. Um, people like myself would be forced to take the law into their own hands. You cannot do that. And let me just repeat that again. You cannot do that. And if you do that, you will be the person that will end up before the courts. It's as simple as that. So, it, I mean, you might be frustrated, you might be annoyed and all of that. But if you do take the law into your own hands, and we'll get clarification of this from the superintendent when he speaks to us on Thursday, but you will be the one ending up in the dock then, you see. So be very, very careful indeed. That's it for me. Amber produced. Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the way. And I will talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Sutstein.